0: Hmm. you know what you're right we got this ladies and gentlemen please welcome to the stage a very funny man really funny guy uh you know him from we got this with mark and hal ladies and gentlemen hal Lublin. Hey everybody how we doing tonight let's get
1: the energy going <laughs> i wrote some stuff down it's not it's not fully formed yet here
0: something uh, you know them. what we're kicking you off the stage Restaur- okay very that's my there. time thank you everybody and now please welcome to the stage and to the podcast our very fantastic and special and uniquely qualified for this episode comedy genius jordan black how are you, thank sir? You,
2: thank you. I'm great. And let's sure. give it up for a howl again. I mean, it's not easy to get up here. Like, <laughs> you know, so these new guys, you know, it, it takes a lot of bravery to get up here. So let's give them a hand. Oh get there. We've all, all of us old hats know what that's like. But. You guys oh, remember. You Hall. guys remember. Yeah. Yeah. We all remember.
0: Oh, man. Would you guys rather see a comedian at their peak or at their start? a up,
2: peak peak I yep. get anxiety going to stand-up shows because I'm rooting for this comedian so bad because I know what it's like to be yeah. to stand and bomb it's terrible there's nothing worse there's no yeah worse.
0: now you you've played with the groundlings obviously mm-hmm. and wrote on saturday night live so you're used to being surrounded by an ensemble mm-hmm. of comedy what's your experience in stand-up
2: I did a little stand-up initially early mm-hmm. in my career I didn't stick with it and, um, I wish I had actually, but I didn't. And part of that was because it was so brutal. Yeah. And with sketch and improv, it's ensemble. So even if you bomb, you're laughing about it together backstage yeah. about how terrible it went. Like you're sharing in it with other people. So you're still, there's still something to enjoy. But when you walk off stage as a stand up and bomb, there's no one going like, Hey, man, you know what? Next time it's like all the other stand ups are going like, yeah, that was terrible.
0: Yeah. Uh, you're pretty yep. funny. You're not sharing in the joy. You're not
2: sharing in the like, man, it's all right. You know, you'll get them next time. It's like, it's every man for himself. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I never, like, I'm in awe of stand-ups. I love stand-up comedy. I love the history of stand-up comedy. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's not like, I like bouncing things off of other people.
2: I mean, stand-up to me is the most impressive of all the art forms for me personally. Mm yeah because it's the one thing that you can do as an artist, and if the audience rejects it it's they're directly rejecting you yeah. they're not rejecting this painting you put up on a canvas, and mm-hmm. you're going like, well, they don't get what i was my, what I was going for, you right. know, or a script you wrote or a movie you were in because you can blame the director, you can blame the studio, you can blame whatever, but when it's you and they go and they're not they're not laughing it's you they hate. That you saw. <laughs> yep. You can't go, this microphone is really terrible.
0: Yeah. Well, I don't, I honestly though, I don't know <laughs> if stand up started that way because it was, you know, it was there were a lot of the old, old timers. They had writers. They had, it was oh, all joke. It's, you don't like my jokes. I think, but, you know, probably not till carlin and Pryor in the 70s and it was just like this is just the brutal honest version of who i am Mm -hmm. but but even before that that raw
1: you could have three different comedians tell the exact same written line Mm -hmm. and one of them will make it work and two of them won't yeah Yeah. so there is even with somebody else's material you have to make it work and they're going to judge your delivery even somebody like emo phillips who's Mm -hmm. a brilliant comedic mind such mm-hmm. a great joke writer will not perform in LA because writers have taken his material and used it elsewhere. So he'll yeah. only go tour. But at the end of the day, if he doesn't have a good show, it's still him. It's yeah. just a yeah. heightened version of yeah. who he actually is.
2: Yeah, because Even and, if people are writing your jokes, the audience doesn't know that. And they're yeah. saying you suck.
0: Right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, let's dive in and start talking about some of these stand-up comedians. I've just tried to compile not even remotely an exhaustive list, but an exhaustive list would take us a week to get through. So I figured it might be fun. Frequently on this show, what we'll do is we'll take our topic, break it into categories, pull one victor from each category, and then pit them against one another. Yay. And I think a way to do that uh, for this is to look at decades. Mm-hmm. Starting with the 1960s, because prior to that, uh, you know, stand up comedy was, it was in like the Copa and in the Vegas shows. There was always another comedian or there was always another uh, musician or a band or some, uh, it was just part of a bigger show. Yeah. 1963, first stand up club opens in New York. Bud Friedman opens the improv. And that was the first ever. We're doing a lineup. We're to, doing two drink minimum. And it's just a person with a microphone all night. Wow. So, if I may, I and please, please add people to this list that I forget, and then we can talk about uh, these folks. Uh, it's going to sound daunting. The 1960s is the longest list that I have, but that's because a lot of legends came out of the 60s. In no particular order, Dick Gregory, Moms Mabley, Red Fox, Lenny Bruce, Don Rickles, Phyllis Diller, the Smothers Brothers, Mort Saul, Bob Newhart, Joan Rivers, Jonathan Winters, and Woody Allen.
2: Wow.
0: Is there anyone else from the 1960s well, like legends?
2: Or was he did he start in the 70s? who's that? Cosby? I feel so like Cosby.
0: the 70s were kind of his. Oh, okay. That was it. like his big decade. I actually have him in the 80s listed here, but I can move well, it. Was, on. For
2: stand-up. That was a sitcom, but he was doing stand-up. He was a huge stand-up
0: before. Right, that. when was himself? Yeah. I feel like that was the 70s. Yeah, I'll put I that mean, I on
2: Albert and all that stuff was 70s.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: Uh, well, himself came out in '83.
2: He was a huge standup before that, though.
1: Right. Like, yeah.
2: The, and that, I was trying that to was put these the, in like I was trying their to era, their peak.
0: Peak. Yeah. Oh, okay. Got yeah. It.
2: Okay. Cool. That's a great list. That's a hard list because I know Brothers like, yeah. Brothers just jumps out at me.
1: Yeah.
2: So brilliant.
1: Um. Now I'm trying to think who else did you? See? But do you think of them more for their double act or more for their show, which was so kind of subversive and introduced? They're
0: like, sure. Yeah, that's yeah. the thing. Like, like, they're more of a, they started, cause a lot of these, like, I guess that's a question we can ask now. Are we looking at purely stand-up? Like, right. you know, you've got Steve Martin and Eddie Murphy have, you know, these giant mega movie careers. Yeah. But, you know, they started and were prime, at one point, they were primarily stand-ups.
2: Yeah, yeah. I would include them. Even yeah. If they love stand-up to do movies. I would include them. when they weren't stand-ups, they were, Right, best. but the
0: Smothers Brothers. Yeah. When you think of the Smothers Brothers, do you right. think of television? Yeah, that's yeah. true. Yeah.
1: yeah, I think we're judging them off. I, we we want to judge them off the basis of their like stand up act. Yeah, so we'll sure. we'll right. keep it to to that. Yeah. Which the Smothers Brothers still are great. I mean, their yeah. their act on their own was fantastic.
0: Well, while we are weeding folks out, then. I think that might be the easier way than to just go through them one at a time. Would we consider Jonathan Winters a stand-up? Because so much of it was improvised.
2: Yeah, I think, I mean, if you're up there and it's just you and a microphone doing jokes, that's stand-up, you know? Yeah. He wasn't juggling.
3: Yeah, Yeah, that's true.
2: I mean, yeah, off this list, I, I mean, like Red Fox, Don Rickles. I mean, these guys are Bob Newhart. You know, Bob's, yeah. maybe, Joan Rivers. I mean, they're legends. Woody Allen, I mean, I don't
0: know. I'll say one that pops out to me from this. I think he's got to be on anybody's short list for a comedy Mount Rushmore just because he's the one that took the bullet for everybody. Mm-hmm. And that's Lenny Bruce.
2: I was going to say the same thing. Uh,
0: he's
2: the Most legendary on this list. Because yeah. you
0: know. Cause you, talk, you were talking earlier about, like, if they don't like what I'm doing, they don't like me. This is my... Yeah. Like Bob Bob Hope in the 40s had writers. Yeah. Lenny Bruce was this is who I am, I'm am unapologetically myself and he was the first comedian to repeatedly get arrested. Drugs eventually took him, but yeah. You can divide the 60s almost into two
1: buckets, right? You have mm-hmm. you have your setup punchline like one-liner over and over. Yeah. Red Fox is brilliant at that. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Joan Rivers was great mm-hmm. at that, Phyllis Diller too. Mm-hmm. Then you have people who came more from Second City, like that Bob Newhart. I'm going to give you one half of a of a phone right. conversation. Shelley Berman did that as well, or
0: Mort Saul doing what John Oliver's doing now, which yeah. is just like these essays, really yeah, right. just funny essays.
1: But I think Lenny Bruce sort of paved a uh, created a path for comedians that would follow him mm. into more. He like made it more abstract and and mm-hmm. made it even more personal. You know, yeah. I, Phyllis Diller talking about her husband Fang is hilarious, and she's mm-hmm. one of the funniest people in history. But it's yeah. not like she's telling you the real things that are going on. She's well, she's, I think
2: that's a good point. How because yeah. a big thing for me, like because Pryor is my favorite comedian, and sure. I think Lenny fits into like my reason for that actually fits with Lenny too because I feel like with Pryor there was a paradigm shift, mm-hmm. Lenny there was a paradigm shift. It went from just you know, other people writing your jokes or set up and punch. To I'm t- talking about my life, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, and things that are important to me, and I'm making, I'm finding a funny take on. Them.
0: And society, yeah, yeah. not so- just about his own story, but right, you know, exactly. nobody went after religion the way he did. Nobody went after you know really hot button topics.
2: Yeah, but he was the first really to do it. Yeah, or at least to um, popularize it that style.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, so in terms of maybe importance to comedy, he would be kind of the runaway in this group. But it's that can't be just that, right? It has to be like what's great about Richard Pryor, who spoiler alert, if he doesn't win, would be really odd, and is at least (laughs) gonna be one of the final two people we talk about. Is not only was he a trailblazer, Mm -hmm. but he's I I almost curse my own podcast I've been doing for five years. Everything he did was every bit talking about his addiction talking about uh drowning talking about going to the hospital like everything he turned everything into humor yeah. and yeah, did yeah. it in a way that was uniquely him
0: the conversation between uh his brain and his rapid heartbeat as he is <laughs> on fire is one right. of the yeah and it's horrifying what he went through yeah but that, um,
2: that yeah yeah so
0: we'll get to prior don't worry
2: yeah um but, yeah, but, I mean, if you're talking funniest, then that's a whole different thing.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. You
2: know, the, the funniest and greatest, to me, aren't the same thing. Right. It right. like, is is impact? Like, your impact in comedy is still felt today. There's a lot of yeah. people who had funny jokes and great jokes and funny material, but did they have a huge impact on the comedians who came after them. Or right.
0: Era. And I think that would put Dick Gregory, uh, high up on this list as well, because he was, I mean, aside from being just a groundbreaker, being the first, like, white club or, yeah. you know, integrated club, uh, performer, he was, he seemed to me like the, or early on, one of those guys that was like, I'm gonna make you laugh and I'm gonna make you think. Yeah. Th- yeah. That, like, like comedy for social good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but but I mean still very funny, but as far as just being hilarious. Well, Dick was
2: brilliant. I mean, like um because he did he did stand up, but he talked about issues. Right. Funny. Dick stopped being funny when he started only talking about issues. Yeah. <laughs> he really kind of went <laughs> off the rails there at the end. Yeah. But uh, in my opinion, <laughs> but when he was doing stand up, cuz he stopped doing stand up at some and was just the guy talking about the
0: government is trying to tap your telephone. That's the thing. He went from comedy to being like <laughs> the guy with a cigarette, talking yeah. to another guy with a cigarette.
2: Yeah. Which he, he may have been completely right. It just wasn't funny anymore. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> He's sitting there like, the government is trying to stop us at the deep state. And somebody's like, tell jokes! Yeah. Right. a not about that, but make me laugh when you say it. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, li- that's the thing about comedy, right, is in, in any satire, whether it's stand-up or a sketch, is when you make people laugh, you there. You can also get them to listen yeah, mm-hmm. in a way that's hard to. Everything else we say is in an echo chamber. Yeah. If the three of us agree on something, and you know we're not going to change minds and hearts going yeah. out there just buying an ad or something, but if you can make somebody laugh, that, that'll yeah. catch them off guard and make them think.
2: Well, I always say, like when comedians get in trouble for doing t- this type of joke or saying this type of word, I'm always like, if it were funny, they wouldn't get in trouble because yeah. people mm-hmm. would get it. It's when you're just saying something, you know, dumb or whatever. I don't judge anybody's art. I don't care what you say. You say it. I'm I'm totally anti-censorship. But if you're going to say something controversial and it's not funny, then it's just controversial. So yeah. then you're going to get into a lot. But if it's a hilarious joke, people tend to forgive that because they feel like they can get where you're coming from with it. Right.
0: You know? uh-huh. Yeah. It's way it's it's way preferable to get a
2: oh yeah. than
0: a huh.
2: Yeah, because I can't stand when comedians go like, oh, you guys are so sensitive. Make us laugh. Okay, make sensitive people laugh, then. I don't know what the problem is. We're the audience.
0: (laughs) So we came to laugh, I promise you. I don't want to give Phyllis Diller too short a shrift in this either, Mm -mm. because she was another example of groundbreaking, but also... Hilarious.
2: Yeah. I mean, you gotta think about there weren't any women doing stand up for so long.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. There was
2: Phyllis Diller out there. I think she predated Joan Rivers, you know. Yeah. I feel like she I mean they were all out there by themselves to a certain degree, but she was out there by herself. Right. And um and was funny and was keeping up, you know. And I'm sure it was not easy. And I'm sure there was a lot of clubs were like, What we're not gonna put on a woman, you know. Yeah. So again, she was a trailblazer and she was super funny. Super time. I worked with her once too. Oh yeah. Oh, how was she? She was lovely. She was very old at the time. Yeah. But um, she knew how to turn it on for the camera, which was impressive. And then I got, but I got to go to her house, and she had a room that was dedicated to Bob Hope because he discovered her and gave her her career. She said. Yeah. And She had a, a guest book that everybody has to sign when they come in, and I saw like one of the most recent ones. This was years ago, like maybe two thousand and five or six Mm
3: -hmm. and I went to
2: sign the guest book and it uh like one of the last people to sign was Roseanne I was like well that's cool (laughs) whoa
0: (laughs) so unbelievable that's (laughs) so I guess it comes back like for as groundbreaking as he was is is Lenny Bruce's groundbreakingness? Because I do think there are funnier people on this list. I think Red Fox is funnier than Lenny Bruce, to me personally. Yeah, I yeah. And again, comedy is you know is a subjective thing. But I don't know that we can deny Lenny Bruce's to contribution. Me,
2: he's the most influential on this list.
0: Yeah. So yeah.
2: people weren't even cursing on in stand up before him. Right. So, and people now, some can, some of us still aren't right. Yeah. That's good. But, <laughs> but that stands out more. Yeah. Yeah. People like, oh, yeah. he's a clean comic. Oh, okay. Well, that's different. Yeah. I love me some clean <laughs> comics though,
0: man. I respect some clean comics. I'll go see a Brian Regan show. That guy works hard for his laughs. Well, and I mean, come on,
2: Seinfeld is a yeah. favorite all time comedians ever. Yeah. Yep. And, um, he's, you know, we all know, you know, as people who do comedy, it ain't about the curse words. If no. it, because if curse words are all you got, then my mother would be hilarious. She <laughs> 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 would be a millionaire if that was enough to be a great comic.
0: Oh my God. Jordan's mom is touring at the Civic Arena yeah. this weekend. That's right. No one under 18 admitted. Right. Yeah.
2: If you don't come <laughs> in and wash these goddamn dishes. <laughs>
0: I don't think we can build a sitcom around that. <laughs> like <laughs> stuff stuff my yes. mom says. It can be a spin off <laughs> Yeah. So is uh, are we are we leaving the sixties with Lenny Bruce in our pocket? I am. Yeah, right. I think you have to. All right, let's move on to the 1970s. Mm-hmm. Big move in the 1970s. So, of course, 1963 was uh, the opening of the very first proper stand-up club. 1972, the big deal was Johnny Carson moved The Tonight Show from New York to Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And when he did that, there was a massive influx of comedians to L.A. in the 1970s. Bud Friedman opened an improv here. uh Mitzi opened up the Comedy Store. Uh, and later the belly room, which was, uh, all women comedians when it opened. So yeah, it was, uh, comedy became LA in the seventies and some of the biggest, uh, standups of the seventies. All dudes on this list. Andy Kaufman, Richard Pryor, George Carlin, Steve Martin, Rodney Dangerfield, Robert Klein, and Bill Cosby. Mm-hmm. The elephant in the room. Does Bill Cosby automatically gets eliminated? On, Bill
2: Cosby. I mean, for his work, he belongs on the list, 100%. You
0: okay, know? that's in fair.
2: behavior, he belongs in jail. Yes, yes. So I think the two, we're not, we're not judging his behavior, yeah. we're judging his comedy.
0: But based on the rules that we established before, the Smothers Brothers, you don't think stand up comedians, you think television. Right. Well, With Bill Cosby, I don't know how many people primarily stand-up.
2: think stand up. I mean, stand up yeah. Yeah. adore him. Like, yeah. you know, people who are, you know, from his era and. Uh, yeah. Like that. Like he, I was always surprised by how many stand ups admired Bill Cosby because I was always into the show, but I was never into a stand up, and I didn't really know Mm -hmm. his stand up growing up. Right. Because I was such a Richard Pryor kid because, like, we had a Richard Pryor album, and, you know, I just thought, right. And I didn't have a Bill Cosby album, so I didn't really hear his stand up. And because of his show, he was so clean on his show that I thought, like, ah, I like cuss words in my comedy. (laughs)
0: Um, He is one of the greatest storytellers, though.
2: He is. Well, I'll tell you, I went to see him do stand-up a few years ago. I had never seen him. I wasn't – I'm just a prior guy. Like, I was prior. Mm -hmm. I was Eddie Murphy. Yeah. And I was like, I was not interested in him. And I was like, you know, he's getting old, and he's a legend. And I should at least go – I do. I am a black guy who does comedy. I should at least be able to say I saw Cosby live. So that was the only reason I went, just to say I saw him. And I cannot tell you it was the most brilliant thing i would ever seen on stage. Yeah. Stand up comedy wise. It was, he did two and a half hours sitting on a chair and it mm-hmm. was insanely, I mean, I don't know about the top of my head blew off.
3: Yeah. Exactly.
2: I was like, now I get it. Now I get why all these like Chris Rock and Seinfeld and all of them say like Bill Cosby is the greatest. And I'm like, it blew my mind. And then, then about six months later, all the, <laughs> yeah. think- all, all the bad stuff happened. And, you uh, and I I was, I was so glad that I got in under the gun.
1: Yeah. I think you <laughs> and I may have been, was it in Pasadena? Yes. You and I may have Valentine's been at, day. You, we were at the same show. Get out of here. We were both at that show to, and a couple got engaged on stage.
2: I don't remember, but probably maybe, yes. or maybe. I was there the day before,
1: but yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he's, yes. uh, he Pasadena. is incredible. And I had seen him maybe about 10 years before that, or when I was in college in like the mid, late nineties at the New York state fairgrounds. Yeah. And he, he again did like two, two and a half hours sitting in a chair. And it was the guy for as vile as a human being, he, as he turned out to be in terms of his craft in, yeah. in comedy, it's, it was like technically flawless. It was technically, mm-hmm.
2: I mean, he would do things like he'd call back something from an hour ago. Mm-hmm. Then, yeah. You know, in the most brilliant way, you're like, oh my God, like, how did he do that? How did he put this show together? It's, yeah. yeah. So he was very impressive.
0: While we were talking about technically flawless and perfectly crafted shows, I want to jump into George Carlin. Yeah. Sure. Another, like, I feel like we don't need to, like, once we pick the 70s, yeah. then we're going to have our ultimate winner. Right. That said, we will uh, go through the whole thing. But George Carlin, that was one thing I noticed about him was there's nothing spontaneous in the mo I mean, there is as a performer, there is spontaneity, but uh, the words that he says are so finely crafted. It's almost like a tree. I saw him live once and that was what we were talking about afterwards. It was like It was like a tree that he had the trunk that was his through line for the show. He would branch off and branch off and branch off from the branches, but he always made it back to that trunk. And then again, he would – he'd be on this branch over here and he would remind you with a callback of something that he had said 45 minutes ago. And just the way that he played with – he played with language the way that Bill Cosby played with characters and stories – Uh, And I just love he's also the only comedian that ever made me laugh with a three word joke, (laughs) which was tonight's forecast. Dark. I thought I was like a three word joke. That is brilliant. Three syllables. (laughs) And he made me laugh.
2: Yeah. I mean, to me, the 70s was the era. And those guys worked so hard because I think the 70s. The reason I think that it came up a notch was because by the 70s, people realized you could get rich doing stand up. So then they yeah. started it more seriously and really like do the work and mm-hmm. stay, you know, they stayed in the clubs every night, hitting two or three clubs a night, crafting it because if you if you could get on Carson, you were a millionaire. Yeah. So you might as well go out seven nights a week, hit two or three clubs and put together a brilliant act so that you could get on Carson and get a TV show or get yeah. a movie. So, you know, the stakes were so high for them that those guys like George Carlin, you know, and Cosby that they just put the year's in. Yeah. It was the whole 10,000 hours thing and a lot of those guys, Steve Martin, a lot of those guys from that era, you can just see. I mean, it's obviously because you can't do what they did without those 10,000 hours.
1: Right. You know, it's, it's weird to think of, I never think, I, I know Carlin, That was like his rise to prominence and one of his eras er, eras of great strength was the 70s. But he continued in the 80s and into the 90s. Oh, he
0: started in the 60s and went through the 90s. Yeah.
1: Yeah. He started as like a clean cut suit and tie guy and then the hippy-dippy weatherman showed up. And then in the 80s, he – like more conceptual stuff. And then he got hyper-focused on language in the 90s and became – like slowly became a really cranky old man. (laughs) Yeah. Totally owned it. And I, yeah. my, I really like his – I've listened to all of his stuff. I'm a huge fan of his. I, I think of his like late 80s, early to mid 90s mm-hmm. as like his best run of material where he had yeah. – everything was so honed and precise. And I, I saw him live too I think in like 97. And wow. it it was like he was just performing the album that had just come out. And there was one moment where his foot got caught in the wire, like he got sort of tangled, that he mm-hmm. improvised a bit that was very funny but it was very clear to me that like, oh, he just wants to get on with it. He's, he's got everything laid out exactly. He's going to follow the sheet music. It's like a one man same play way in every city. Yeah. Yeah. Like he and knows me, all the notes
2: to me to be able to do that and keep it funny and fresh is so much more impressive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's just like, I have my act. I know it's good and I'm going to do it as opposed to, yeah. Oh, I'm biting on that tonight. So let me switch gears. It's like, no, I'm, this, I have this honed. And I think that that's impressive. I'm impressed by a honed act.
0: Yeah. I appreciate it. And it took him a while to get to where he got to with going from that. You mentioned how the clean cut comedian in the 60s and then Mm -hmm. letting his hair grow out. And it it is that idea of I don't have to do. You mentioned before, you know, you go, you work on your act, you do your 10,000 hours, you go on The Tonight Show and you get famous. There's that there's that linear pathway. But he and Pryor both like they were that originally and then went, this is stupid. I'm growing my hair out or in Pryor's case, I'm going to go to, was it San Francisco? Yeah. And
2: Berkeley, I think he
0: went to Berkeley. Yeah. yeah. And then really find who I am.
2: Yeah. I I was going to say that because Pryor had that same transformation Mm -hmm. where he was clean cut and Pryor was like, he he was on his way to a huge career. Like he had, he had what every comedian wanted, which was a Vegas gig. And you guys probably know the story. And he Mm -hmm. burned that gig down, like famously, like, Basically burned his career to the ground by going on stage and saying, you know, what BS this, this show was and this club and his life and like just destroyed his, he was just like, you'll never work Vegas again, which means you'll never make money. Yeah, And then went up to Northern California, moved in with a trans woman whom he dated. And then, yeah, this is all in his book, by the way. What's
0: it called? Prior convictions?
2: His book, Prior Convictions, yeah.
0: yeah. I never read the book. I just have seen the documentaries that they've made about it. Yeah, I've, I've seen all him. the
2: documentaries. But yeah. I'd
0: love to hear from his yeah. words.
2: Yeah, it's his book that he wrote, Prior Convictions, mm-hmm. and he talks about this and how he had this trans lover, and, and then he started, you know, doing stand-up up there because it was just like, it's so, you know, if you, you guys know San Francisco is very artist-friendly. They let mm-hmm. you try things, and he sort of found his real voice. And then when he came back, people were like, why? Well, because, you know, he was trying to be Cosby. He, Cosby was his hero.
3: Yeah, and so right. he
2: was trying to do Cosby. And, um, and um of course, Cosby called him and told him not to cuss in his act exactly when he started cussing. Like yeah. Cosby did to everyone. It's just like, yeah. not like, hmm.
0: Though I do like that later on, Cosby calls Eddie and uh tells him not to cuss. And then Pryor tells Eddie, don't listen to Cosby.
2: Right,
0: yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was insane before you knew what you knew about Cosby that he was doing that.
0: Yeah,
1: and
2: somebody else. Re- oh, yeah. Eddie told. Well, yeah.
1: Anyway. Yeah, uh, he Eddie has that whole
2: story with Seinfeld about how Cosby called it. anyway. So, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> okay, it's just so funny.
0: Uh, but yeah, so let's talk a little about because we're talking about well crafted acts. Mm-hmm. The anti comedian from yeah. the 70s. And there's two of them on this list, actually, who took the concept of what stand up comedy was and had become and flipped it around. And that's Steve Martin and Andy Kaufman. Yeah. Steve Martin, who made a concerted effort to just be silly. Yeah. Which is really fun. His stand-up career was so short. Yeah. Because what he did didn't like, once it got to a certain size, it was like, okay, well then it's run its course. Like yeah. well, his version of stand-up? Board? Oh yeah. Born standing. Uh, oh yeah. When
2: he talked about how his act was so intimate that the mm-hmm. jokes didn't work in these huge arenas.
0: So he yeah.
2: just, you
0: know, even just, when he would put on a white suit just so they could see him from the back of the house.
2: Yeah,
0: that's <laughs> um, crazy. Yeah, he yeah,
1: it is crazy. Uh, he's so he's so smart, and his writing since then, both screenplay and, and stuff like pure drivel, which is a really really fun read of like short essays, mm-hmm. including one where he uses "there's like a shortage of periods" is the idea, and there's only one in the entire in like a three three page essay. Which yeah. is so just great concept. He delivers on it and his, like he, he was smart. He was at the same time smarter than the material that people were consuming from his act, mm-hmm. but his act was way smarter than I think, you know, you see like yeah. the banjo stuff and him being kind of silly, but it's hard to appreciate how precise and how smart everything he did was. Yeah. Like, fi- like just to find what may seem like the simplest joke is yeah. can be really really difficult. And he was yeah. he was a master of that.
0: And the other one of course being Andy Kaufman who so just cool. man, I I I I actually I I grew up loving Andy Kaufman. The wrestling stuff that was just bonkers. Mm-hmm. Uh I read zamuda's book. I went to the 20th anniversary at the comedy was it the comedy store? No. It was uh it was at the House of Blues. They threw a uh, a 20th anniversary because Kaufman said uh, offhandedly one day, if I ever fake my own death, I'll come back 20 years to the day. Yeah, And everybody was – so it was 20 years to the day from his death and everybody was expecting Andy Kaufman to walk in the door. Of course he didn't, but Tony Clifton played. <laughs> Odenkirk did a set. A bunch of great comedians uh played. And then – Instead of taking the audience out for milk and cookies, as he famously did, afterwards, they took the audience out across the street to the comedy store where they had set up Lucha Libre Wrestling.
2: Did you know, <laughs> uh, I, I can't remember where I heard this or I read it. And maybe you guys know the story already. But after the milk and cookies, you know, he told them, meet me tomorrow on the ferry at 6 a.m. He was just saying no. it as a bit. He didn't mean it. He was just like, yeah, tomorrow. And then he, they said he got home and he started thinking like, should I? Should I go to the ferry? No. And he went and there were, there was like maybe just a
0: handful, two or three people who showed up. Oh, that for those two or three people though. Yeah. That is, that's the greatest story ever. Good on him for showing up that he, after the
2: milk and cookies. Yeah. He told them like, let's, let's meet at the ferry at six a.m. We'll continue the party or whatever. And then he didn't mean it at all. And it's like, now should I commit to this? I love Andy. I'm yeah, sure Mark yeah. <laughs> Marin's
1: podcast from, um, Zamuda. I think he also, right. he, uh, when he went on, uh, God, what show was it set? Was it the Friday night special? Was that the one where he went on and, uh, a midnight yeah. special? He went on midnight special and performed as Andy Kaufman, a song called I trust where he just says, I trusted you. I trusted you for, I think four minutes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like he just didn't care. It's, it's, it's pure data. Is like, I'm going to do what I think is interesting. I'm going to well, eat. Like we didn't even get to see his far out stuff,
0: like doing his laundry or eating a bowl of potatoes on stage or falling asleep.
2: The great Gatsby.
0: Yeah. The thing I think that he did so brilliantly for me is like, he was the first one that went, uh, yeah. A laugh is a reaction. There's lots of reactions though. Yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like if your job is to get a reaction from an audience, he was like, "I, I don't care if it's a laugh. I just want a reaction.
2: Well, I'll tell you this, like, when I was a kid, I knew him from Taxi, of course. Didn't know his mm-hmm. stand-up at all. And then he did a stand-up special on HBO. This was this would had to be in the, I guess, late 70s, early 80s, for sure. Mm-hmm. In the middle of the show, he gets into an argument with somebody in the audience. Now, at this time, I didn't know that he did these bits that, you know, that these huge, you know, pranks and all that. I didn't know that. Right, yeah. But he gets into an argument with this guy in the audience. And then the guy s- says... At a certain point, gets is really mad and says, look, you asked me to do this bit with you. Like, I'm only doing it. <laughs> like, as if the guy's there, like, I'm no longer doing the bit. Now I'm mad for real. And Andy then said, hey, now you're F- effing you're up my show, man. You, you messed up the show. <laughs> and then it went to black. Like, it just went off. And oh. Me and my brothers were like, oh, we just saw something we weren't supposed to see. Amazing. Like, saw-
0: yeah. That's, and that's a, just, a reaction. And-
2: yeah. I'm sure the whole thing was planned. Sure. But to this day, I really don't know if the guy got mad for real and they just
0: <laughs> So yeah. good. Did you guys ever uh, hear, uh, The Day the Laughter Died? Uh, the oh, Andrew Dice Clay album? It's one of the
1: greatest. So. It's one of the best stand-up albums of all
0: time. It's too good. Just for the ending. Just for the I, ending because he snaps. Yeah. It is, it is, you hear Andrew Dice Clay quit stand-up comedy. At the genuinely end, genuinely snaps. Genuinely snaps. Oh, I gotta gotta the end of I the mean- album is he just, uh, the, he starts like inappropriately flirting with this girl in the audience and then her dad starts like going after him and then he starts going after the dad and then he tries to get back to his jokes and he just tells the same joke, the punchline to the same joke maybe 50 times, just screaming it into a mic and you, he has one breath where he just goes. <sighs> And then yeah. you can, and you're like, that, that was it. That's the end of stand up for dice. He, I give him so much credit for putting that album out because it's yeah. it's
1: yeah. like an hour and a half of failure at a small club. He refuses to do any of his nursery rhymes and stuff or or anything like that, which is really interesting because he, I guess, his whole deal was he he was an actor who mm-hmm. created that persona. Like, I have to get something going here, and he did it really well, and was. I mean, it's hard for people who weren't alive or really aware then to understand how huge of a star he was, and that's mm-hmm. just like, yeah, that was more of the not even blue collar, but just like the more profane, the better. Like Tim Allen was a filthy comic, mm-hmm. right, <laughs> with children, which is a Bob Saget was, show a, was huge. Yeah. Oh my god, Bob Saget is is filthy, hilarious, mm-hmm. but but filthy, and he puts out this album that it it. It, it, it is. I know what you're talking about. He's like, I'll give you a quarter back,
0: and he does get it, it? and he keeps repeating get yeah. it over and over again.
2: I just downloaded it, so nice,
0: good. Um, it is bonkers. I yeah. just
2: heard Rosie O'Donnell talking about the same thing. Like after she started doing her talk show, mm-hmm. and she go to Vegas, and all of a sudden, all these old people are there because they want to see, you know, the uh, Queen of Nice, and she's just like. Yes. Uh, uh. Yeah. Like, oh, are you in for a treat? They are not biting on this material. <laughs>
0: oh. so, like,
2: guys, I'm not doing my talk show for you. I'm doing my stand up.
0: Yeah, I forgot to put her on the list for the '90s. We'll have to remember to put Rosie uh, on. So yeah, for Kaufman. Sure.
2: I think Kaufman was such an original, mm-hmm. and um, so you know, he stands out for for that. You know, I think he stands out for that. And then, of course, to me, to me, like I said earlier, prior. This is what I always say yeah. about Richard Pryor. When Pryor started doing stand up, nobody was doing what he was doing. Mm-hmm. After he started doing everybody, cause I always say, if you're not stealing from Richard Pryor, you're not doing stand up comedy. Yeah. You're wasting yeah. your time. Yeah. And even if you don't know you're still, whoever you're stealing from, if they weren't stealing from Richard Pryor, then you're wasting, like, everyone's influenced by Pryor, even if they haven't watched it. Yeah. As you're watching now, they're influenced by Pryor, even if it's just because they're influenced by the comedians they watched. Yeah. So, he changed the paradigm
0: when he uh, started. When he start, you saying when he started, like early, yeah, early is, started, too. or when he yeah. when he came back from Berkeley? Yeah, his he came
2: back from Berkeley. Yeah, when the
0: Phoenix rose. Yeah,
2: when he decided yeah. he wasn't going to be on the Tonight Show doing, you know, doing yeah. an act. You know, yeah. Even though he did the Tonight Show a lot after
0: that. But. Which uh, what's your favorite special of his? Are you seventy nine or eighty two?
2: I'll say this one, but it, I'm wanted, what is it? Wanted, dead or alive or wanted or alive and something. Mm-hmm. It's because I had that album, so I have it memorized. Gotcha. I did, I, that was the only prior, that's how I got in a prior. Yeah. My mom had a boyfriend who had that album. Me and my brothers eventually just kept it for ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> we played it. You're dating our mom. We get to keep this now. Yeah. And anytime someone came over to our house, it was like, have you heard this? There you go. Oh uh, man! <laughs> bits for our entire childhood. We did those bits.
3: Yeah, yeah.
2: Wanted is my. I'd have to say, my favorite because of that.
0: Yeah,
2: I love all of the specials. There, I just rewatched live on Sunset because I think they
0: just. Oh, that's the eighty-two. Yeah, is the, yeah. the, the so and
2: good. that's the
0: one or no? It's seventy-nine. Is yeah, the that's, red that's, suit?
2: I think you're right. That is eighty.
0: And then eighty-two. Yeah, and then Sunset Strip was the one where he talks about catching fire.
2: Right, and I just rewatched yep. that one. Um, because I think they put it up on Netflix and I was just like, I hadn't watched it in a zillion years. And I was like, as good as I think he is, I, he's blowing my mind.
0: It's perfect. Yeah. yeah. And like, like we were saying before, like he is the way he took pain
3: mm-hmm. and like,
0: I mean, a, a human being's worst moment. Yeah, And God, it's one of the funniest things I've ever heard.
2: Well, I always tell people what made him so good was his vulnerability because yeah. when a guy comes on stage and says, I shot up my wife's car cause she wasn't going to leave me in it. What he's really saying is I didn't want my woman to leave me. I yeah. was, I was, I wanted her to stay. I'm not strong enough for this woman to leave me. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's, he's being the anti-macho guy. I mean, he talked about his drug abuse. He talked about his bad marriages. You know, he wasn't trying to put on a persona of cool. And he ended up being the coolest
1: guy. You know? Yeah. 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 I mean, he's undisputed comes out of the 70s. It's like it's yeah. not even close, even as great a field it is. I and if you if you've never seen Robert Klein do stand-up, if you know him sort of as an actor or remember mm-hmm. or know him of him as a second city guy, his specials, he was like the first real HBO special guy in the 70s. Yeah. He kind of helped That's right. He yeah. kind of helped put HBO on the map for comedy and is a brilliant stand-up. He just sort of stopped doing it.
2: Yeah, yeah. For, for whatever reason, I, I I can easily at any moment uh do his "I Can't Feel My Leg song at the dress anytime. <laughs> anywhere, my entire life is I song, I've never stopped singing it.
4: It's so good.
1: It's so it's so dumb and so good and perfect. Yeah, and then Roddy Dangerfield also was a guy who was a regular sort of comedian and then adopted this persona mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and did it so well and was such a sharp joke writer mm-hmm. that it that it went from he could go do a show and deliver a ton of great lines to of mm-hmm. a, a very successful run of films yeah. that was just based on an act that he had honed on stage, so mm-hmm. you know who he is in In, uh, easy money or who he is in Caddyshack or back to school, which is like, is like real strong three movie run. That's all just a version of his stage persona. So it's, it serves as an extension in a way that not a lot of comedian, maybe Seinfeld is the other Mm -hmm. real example of this guy is going to take his, his act and persona to another medium and just adapt it but it's not you know Ellen is a talk show host now mm-hmm. but her stand up is a little like to see her as a stand up is a little bit different mm-hmm. it doesn't feel like the talk show is an is a direct extension of right. what she did as a stand up and neither was her sitcom in the 90s
0: right i'd say even that like somebody like Andrew Dice Clay later on was borrowing from the playbook of Rodney Dangerfield in the mm-hmm. i'm going to give you the most easily digestible persona and then I'm going to work from within that Mm -hmm. And that's never gonna change. And it is disrespected every man who is the most childish, selfish person you can think of. Yes. And you're like, okay, easy to digest. I understand what that means. Yeah. So I think, yeah, but I, man, there's no way we come out of the seventies without it being Richard Pryor. It's
2: Pryor. Of course it's Pryor. Yeah. yeah. Of course yeah, it's, it's Pryor. This, this is a great list. I mean, these guys are all just like, I mean, also I was born in seventies, so I really know all these guys.
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I know
2: their acts, you know, so well and they're, they're working. So, so they're so impressive. Yeah. Also, I do think the seventies were probably for me, mm-hmm. the, best era as far as because there were less stand up comedians. So mm-hmm. they were the vast majority of them were all like so amazingly talented. Yeah. It wasn't hard to find a great stand up comedian. They were just they were all great comedians.
0: Another book pitch, if you haven't read it, I'm dying up here is fantastic.
2: Oh yeah, that's the one about the uh comedy store, right?
0: Mm-hmm. It's about the comedy store and the improv and the strike that happened yeah in, in 1979 oh yeah with jay leno with the uh, che Guevara yeah uh,
1: outfit another guy who is a brilliant stand-up yeah but he's a brilliant stand-up like you just watch him he's he's in the same air as seinfeld where you watch it, You're like oh he this is what he was born to do i don't care yeah. how successful he was with the tonight show or that movie he did with pat marita forget about that it's <laughs> all about how good of a stand-up he is yeah. Like it's just his medium
2: well, Jay is, a—I know he's not on this list, but Jay is such an interesting character. Because I, I remember him saying how he, um, when he would go, because he, he was at the uh, comedy store when Pryor was there. You know, Pryor was a star, but Pryor mm-hmm. was still coming in. He said he'd always asked to go up after Pryor because he wanted to make himself better. Nobody wanted to follow wow. Pryor and go, I'll follow Pryor. Yeah. That's the only way I'm going to get good is I if I follow the best, then I got to get better.
0: Yeah. That was, and that, yeah, f- that's one of the great things that I love about him is that, uh, Jay Leno was the f- worker. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He was like dawn to dusk riding and then dusk to dawn drilling.
2: And then in his era, all the comedians that were around him, they all say he was the best
1: stand up. You know, David oh, Letterman to this day says Jay was the best. He was the best, you know yeah wouldn't he while he was doing the tonight show wouldn't he go down to hermosa beach to like comedy and magic and do his set like he would start trying yeah. monologue jokes out He's just to test still them
2: doing he still does it the entire time he was at doing the tonight show he was still doing. no it. kidding yeah no. he would do corporate gigs he would get on the jet he would do shows ap- after the he would tape the show he'd get on the jet and go do a gig you know and then, um, he, still, then he still does the hermosa beach gig the Man, magic whatever, the magic um, yeah, and comedy,
1: comedy and magic or whatever. Yeah.
0: I think he still does that every Sunday. Have you guys ever caught? I know how, I know you and I have, but uh, Jordan, have you ever gotten lucky and caught just a killer drop in set? Yes. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I saw Chappelle a few years ago here. Mm-hmm. You know, it was one of those things like the tickets went on sale on Tuesday, the show's Wednesday. Right. And I, write, I just, you know, I just immediately bought them and they were immediately sold out. Of course. I some, like random little like it was like a Latin nightclub that oh, he booked. And wow. the opening act was um was like first somebody I didn't know, and then Hannibal Burrs. And we're like, oh wow, Hannibal Burr. And then Chris Rock. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. Like, Wait, Chris Rock is opening for Chappelle. This is Wow. Great. Yeah.
0: That's a good lineup. That up. was
2: crazy. And when I auditioned for SNL mm-hmm. years ago, they made us audition at a, at, a, at a stand-up club. And so they wanted to see us in front of an audience. Mm-hmm. And Chris Rock just showed up. He didn't know that it was going on. So he just showed up to do some stand-up because he was working on this material for the, he was hosting the MTV Awards in a couple of weeks or something.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And
2: so I was just glad I didn't have to go on right after him.
0: Right. <laughs> oh my Did he pretend <laughs> that he was auditioning for SNL?
2: Wait, you know. They Hi, my him. name's Chris. But it was like, But somebody who was auditioning had to follow Chris Rock.
0: Yeah, that's rough. rough. That's rough. Wow. wow i remember we caught two great sets we caught chappelle as the day he got back from well, that, when he yeah. went on his sabbatical
1: we were at a sketch group at second city which at the mm-hmm. time their performance space remember what it was, when it was attached to the improv it was like that little lab theater yeah, yeah. Uh, on melrose so we're there rehearsing on monday nights mm-hmm. and all of a sudden we hear a noise come from the main room because there's a wall. There's just a wall dividing us mm-hmm. that sounded like a fire had broken out. Like it sounded wow. like the amount of noise. It was like shaking the walls. Mm-hmm. And so we went to see and then found out it was Chappelle coming back from Africa yeah. after he, after he turned down Comedy Central's whatever
0: create like $50 million offer. Mm-hmm. And just came back and took over the stage. You and I have a different experience of that night than Hal. Because I guess I was already at the bar, as I am wont to do. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, and I was, our buddy John, who we had done comedy with, was a server at the improv. And I forgot who I was sitting with at the bar. But he walks up to us and he goes, go in the showroom right now. And we went, what? And he goes, don't ask any questions. Go in the showroom right now. And we went in. And Dave Attell was on, who's a great stand-up. And then in comes, he wouldn't tell us why. And then in comes. So that cheering oh, wow. you heard, we were part of that, uh, cheering. <laughs> That's amazing. The only other time I heard an, ama- that I saw a, a drop in like that also was Dave Attell was on stage and it was Chris Rock again. These guys are just like, I love that it's, yeah, Chris Rock and Dave Chappelle. They're like, they're workhorses. Those guys are stand up comics. Yeah, they they Chris and Dave are work horses. They go to the yeah. small
2: clubs and they do the work. Yeah. I was once years ago, I was at the comedy store. My I must have been there to see a show. And um Damon Wayans dropped in. And this was mm. in the nineties.
0: Oh my god. Like Peak Wayans.
2: Yeah, Peak Peak Wayans. The in-, mm. in Living Color was still on the air. He wasn't on it anymore. He had left, but his family was because mm. he was doing movies. But his yeah. family members had all just quit the show. Like Keenan had just quit. Mm-hmm. And he got on and he was doing stand-up and then somebody asked him to do Homie the Clown. And he said, I don't I'm not gonna do any characters from In Living Color. He said, because um, you know, my family all just left. He said, and then he was like, You guys want me to tell you what happened? And then he told them, <laughs> what? Oh. Yeah, he told the story about why they all quit and it was because Fox started airing the reruns of In Living Color during prime time. Mm-hmm. And which was going to make them less valuable in syndication. Right. And, and the reason they did it was because ownership of the show was about to convert to Keenan. And so Keenan was going to be able to take the show, Ooh. sell it in syndication and make, mm-hmm. you know, Cosby dollars.
4: And right. so they wow. did it,
2: just threw them over. Just to hurt them financially, they mm-hmm. started airing the shows during prime time. They started airing the old classic In living colors during prime time so that they would be less valuable.
0: Isn't that amazing. is diabolical.
2: Isn't it crazy?
0: So they oh, all... wow.
2: And that's also a cool black story about, you know, when he was at SNL, he was like, I should be on The Living Color. I want to be on a black show doing black stuff. And then he went and then all the and quit and he was there.
4: <laughs>
0: <laughs> anyway. Thank you for that sidebar. I love it. Yeah, like, awesome. I can't believe I saw this performer. Like, I'm not a huge, I don't go to a ton of concerts. I love music. I love concerts. But this to me is like. These are the memorable, like I'll see a concert. I'll be like, that was a great show. But these are the memorable ones. Like there I was like, yeah. it's always stand up stories. Yeah. So let's jump into the 1980s. And again, tell me if there are people that I have missed on these lists, because after I did the seventies, I and wrote prior down, I didn't really care as much.
3: Um,
0: but the 1980s gave us two absolute juggernauts yes eddie murphy and robin williams robin williams started in the 70s but he really blew up in the 80s he was straight out of san francisco and then did his uh was like the met or some huge yes as he did uh, a night at the met in 86 night at the met it's one of the greatest stand-up albums of all time and the specials
2: of your setup which is when they peaked when they were at their height right
0: yeah. And then you've also got the groundbreaking, uh so many of these. Now begins the run of the problematic. Well, no, Cosby began the run of the problematic. But there there's some problematic uh performers on these yeah, lists, yeah. but they're undeniable in the world of stand-up that they had an influence. So Roseanne Barr, Stephen Wright, and Sam Kinison. Stephen Wright, not problematic. Not problematic. No, 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 no. no. The, uh, Roseanne being the <laughs> only know, this a problematic one on that list. Yeah. And I don't think Sam Kennison was necessarily problematic. No, Sam Kinison, if you, yeah. if you told him he was problematic, he would have loved it.
2: Yes, of course. He was problematic if you were dealing with him personally.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. He's an interesting guy in that he came from a really religious family in the South. Yeah. And people know him for like the ow, ow. But mm-hmm. he, he was so like, he was kind of the predecessor to Bill Hicks, uh, in mm-hmm. the nineties in that he, talked about really controversial stuff had very intelligent thought out opinions yeah. but you, you know you remember it's you, you, his gimmick almost uh handicapped him and that you didn't even realize how good he was because yeah. everything around the aura, aura around him kind of superseded his material in a lot of ways
2: yeah. well you know he was a he was a pentecostal minister at one point you know i
0: didn't I mean, know that
2: would, you know hold a crowd and mm, you know yeah. and as somebody who does go to church most of the preachers who are really good are, you go, this is a stand-up act. Like, you're funny. Like, they yeah. know that they have to have that to really reach it on. It's like, they're making you laugh the whole time. So <laughs> it's really interesting. So I'm never surprised. Like, Chris Rock, who his grandfather, I think, was a minister. So he said he learned his cadence from his grandfather. Wow. Like, you can see that in like really good comedians. Like, yeah, you, you know, cause a lot of good comedians also have a point and a message and, you know, let's make the world a better place or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a it's a very easy transition I've seen with a lot of preachers was like you could easily be a stand-up.
0: Yeah. And some preachers, you know, have become stand ups. Oh yeah. Pastor, uh, what's his name? He's got, uh, put out a bunch of comedy albums in the sixties. They're generally uh sort of niche audiences. I think yeah. I have one of his, like, from my grandfather's record collection, which included a lot of Jim neighbors and, you know, yeah. those it's just guys. an
1: Irish Catholic priest, like, oh, I went to the store today and um People were <laughs> funny hearts and then everybody just laughs,
2: laughs at that. There was Father Guido, but I don't know that he was. I like. love Father. Oh, there you go.
1: <laughs>
0: there you go. <laughs> Stephen Wright, the absolute really? one of the brilliant, brilliant one line Smith.
2: As and a dead kid man. We watching him and just being so impressed with the way his mind worked. I was just, yeah. like, nobody was like him. So his cadence was what it was. And you're just like, how, how is he able to do this? Yeah. The confidence it has to take to do what he was doing,
0: yeah, yeah, and, and to just sort of do your deadpan thing, and yeah, he let the, he did a, a cool thing where he just let the jokes speak for themselves. Yeah. It was just pure jokes.
2: Yeah. He went under, as I, as I like to say. Yeah, we'll go over. He went under. Yeah. Yes.
1: Yeah, and he, he, the, his stuff was smart enough that it might take you a second. Like he understood. Mm-hmm. He knew when to press and when not to press, like, when it was going to take a second. And you can see, like, the wave happen in the audience. He just understood – understands still. I mean, he's still active. It's not like he – He's still alive. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. Look, Wait, we're going to miss you. I, was, gonna, uh, I just had a Rest, rest in peace, Stephen Wright. Rest in, in peace. It's what happened. It's so
0: sad. It's so, sad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so sad. Yeah.
1: But we're going to miss him. God, just I hope he doesn't die before family. this airs. <laughs> we better not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, we're just going to put this out right now, just yeah. in case. Yeah. Stay safe. Stephen Wright, you're in our thoughts and prayers. Uh, he, yeah. he would never break.
2: Yeah. No, I mean, I don't, it's, yeah. I, that's why I said it's so. Somebody like him, I really like courageous is the word because when you go out there and you know these audiences, especially when you're not famous yet, when he was doing mm-hmm. the voice, you know, just don't and they're waiting for you to make it make me laugh and come out here and, and you know, and jump around. And mm-hmm. he does that and he's able to hold the audience. Cause I guarantee you when he started, it had to be really hard. Yeah, know? yeah. So I was like, I don't know what you're doing and boo and shut up and you know.
0: <laughs> but he's un- like yes, it's a guy that just walks out on stage and reads a list of jokes, basically. But the jokes are so good. Smart. They're just smart. Yeah, yeah. Roseanne Barr. I mean, groundbreaking. Like, and the foresight that she had with what she did. I think, like, but I, I do think of her. I mean, I know that she her stand up was like, here's what life is really like. Yeah. For a blue collar every person.
2: Where a whole persona that she created of the domestic goddess. Yeah. was, Was brilliant because nobody was doing that. Yeah. Um, And not the way she was doing it, you know, meaning like I'm a poor woman. I'm a Mm -hmm. poor woman with a husband and kids. Yeah. And my life is hell.
3: Yeah.
2: And because, you know, most people are poor and most people have kids. So it's like it was so relatable.
0: You know. Yeah. And she, uh, she even said later on about, uh, I loved this. I was like, dang, that is some foresight. And I think we talked about this on our uh, best TV moms episode, uh-huh. uh, that she said later, and this is less about the standup, more about the sitcom, but, uh, later on, um, toward the end of the sitcom when it was all about, you know, them losing her, losing her job at the factory. And she said that I knew, she said, I knew from day one, that this show was going to be about the death of the union job in America. Yeah. And I was like, dang, unless that's, I mean, that could be revisionist. Like, no, 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 I totally meant to do that the whole yeah. time. You're right, right. Right. Uh, but the idea of like that kind of foresight, you talk about like a comedian who wants to make a point, like that is playing the longest of long games.
2: And it's so hard. I mean, like the fact that she was able to get that show on the air because, you know, as someone who writes for television and. Mm-hmm. They want everything to be aspirational, mm-hmm. you know, and like, you know, we want characters who the audience wants to be. They don't want to be a poor person struggling. It's like, yeah, you know, I don't know that that's true, but OK, yeah. um, it's so hard. So the fact that they were able to pull that off and pull it off, like, you know, the first few seasons of that show are so brilliant because they would they didn't mind ending on a downbeat, an episode mm-hmm. or an act break on not a laugh on a bummer. Yeah. They don't just end on that. And you weren't, you didn't feel like, wait, what's going on? What's happening? I thought this was a comedy. You're just in it with them the whole yeah. time. And then yeah. when you're laughing, they're the biggest laughs in the world. You know, and a lot of that was her influence on that show. Mm-hmm. In spite of the, you know, reputation she had for being difficult. Mm-hmm. I always say, yeah, but the, you know, but the um, results are there. You know, the yeah. show.
0: Yeah. But well, let's get now to the two, I think, big juggernauts of the 80s. And that's Eddie Murphy and Robin Williams. Who do you want to talk about first?
2: Let's talk about Robin first.
0: Let's talk about Robin. He, I mean, I remember the day that he died, Mm -hmm. I was in New York city with my buddy, Adam, Mm -hmm. and we heard it. And it was like the world was crestfallen. Mm -hmm. We were in the neighborhood right around the corner from the comedy cellar. And we were like, maybe it's time, you know, we'll go pay respects. And I guess everybody in town had that idea. <laughs> and we went to uh, the comedy cellar and the guy at the door was like, we appreciate it. We're closing. We're just we're shutting the doors like whoever's in here now. We're shutting the doors. We're going to make this night a special night. And we're like, all right, well, that's of course. So it was like th- just just the the influence that that guy had. Again, this is another one of those. When you think of Robin Williams, do you think primarily of a standup comedian? Because so often stand up comedy is a launching point. Um, you also because because yeah, he's an Academy Award winning actor. He's, I saw him on stage. He did a play with a buddy of mine. Wow, yeah, it was amazing, and just the by all accounts the kindest and yeah. you know, like had his demons, but just a wonderful like like I don't primarily think stand up. Whereas even now, fifty movies and a whole Saturday Night Live career later, I think of Eddie Murphy as Eddie Murphy is a stand up.
2: Yeah, because he was so iconic in that, yeah. in that role. And those specials are so iconic. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I would just say about Robin, like, to your point about Nice Guy, I'd never heard a bad story about him from anyone. Everyone no. loved. Only thing no. I could say, you know, the fact that he improvised his act, which is so
0: like, incredible. Is
2: yeah. Incredible. Now, yeah. I know the rep, he had the reputation of stealing other <laughs> people's clothes, but in his defense, what he mm. said, because he owned it, he said, because I, he was improvising, he was just like he 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 wasn't doing it like oh I'll hold on to that he was just like I'm just I'm not going
0: to edit myself uh, just totally unfiltered
2: right yeah. so I'm not and so it, yeah. you know, I don't think that I don't think that's the case if I'm a comedian you took my joke I don't care that that's your reason for it
4: <laughs> I so right. I
2: understand that but I I I give him a pass in the sense that it wasn't mean spirit it wasn't like well i'm robbing with i'm gonna steal your joke now it's mine he wasn't trying to do that right I, you know i wish he had policed it better but i know it wasn't coming from a place of i'm out of material so i'm gonna steal your stuff
0: you know? yeah it was just he tur- he he figured out you know artists talk about flow he figured out how to turn on the flow tap
3: yeah. so I mean,
0: brilliantly and he didn't like the way most comedians would do he didn't turn on the flow tap sit down and write and then edit. He just was like, no, I'll just turn on the flow tap once I'm on stage. It'll go. In that
2: documentary, they showed because I never saw a lot of his stand-up, you know? Mm-hmm. And in that documentary that HBO did, they showed some of his stand-up, and my jaw was on the floor. Yeah. Because he was improvising. You're just like, I cannot
1: believe what I'm seeing. It was so good and just so yeah.
2: unexpected. And
4: Anyway
1: yeah his his opening run in in night at the met which is on same as i think they just took the hbo album and it's it's the same recorded version i don't think they took different nights or anything he goes on like a he comes out and the first thing he does is howdy sorry wrong opera house and then goes through that leads him on a run <laughs> that that you could tell took him away from like it just it that even that wasn't linear it's just he zigs and zags around mm-hmm. and that that's why that the, the maybe his like iconic role is the genie in Aladdin which they had convinced him to do by taking his stand up and animating it to mm-hmm. show him like this is how you can still be Robin Williams and we can turn you into a cartoon yeah. so there that like just unbridled ball of energy that goes like follows whatever shiny thing is in front of him mm-hmm. but still figures out how to create something linear out of that is mm-hmm. I, I, don't, I don't know i don't think there's anybody else who can do that or ever has? Yeah. Well, I
0: think he, he was the heir to Jonathan Winters. Right. Yeah. Which he owned that. He, he, yeah, won. sure. But I think he even surpassed it.
1: <laughs> yeah. Like he turned it into more. I, I never think of Jonathan Winters as conventional stand up more than like mm-hmm. a series of character bits. Mm-hmm. Whereas right. Robin Williams built a stand-up act that had little pockets like you can there's no doubt that Jonathan Winters DNA is all over all over his act but it is it is different like he took it and made it something completely different I think Jonathan Winters had that same energy but was doing something that that was in the vein of what other comedians were doing
0: And and Winters would play a character for three minutes Robin Williams would play a character for three seconds yeah. yeah, the
2: difference between stealing someone's act and being influenced by them, you know? Yes. Right. And even wearing that influence, but you're not, it's like I always tell people, like, Prince and Michael Jackson worshipped James Brown, but they, mm-hmm. and you can see the influence, but they totally created their own thing.
3: Yeah. You know?
2: So, yep. but they were influenced. So, and I say I say that about Robin and Jonathan Wins. He was so influenced by him, but he definitely created his own path.
0: Yeah. Eddie Murphy, mm-hmm. on the other hand...
2: I worshiped in the eighties. Yeah. I just yeah.
0: worshiped my eighties guy. Yeah. Also, you know, also influenced by his predecessors yeah. and forged his own path.
2: Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: But he did it like his stuff was, his stuff was crafted. Like yeah. he knew what he was going out there to do. He was just like, he was a cool alpha male. Yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like in a world of, you know, comedians, like, here, let me tell you all about my problems. And here's, here's what's wrong with me. Right. He wasn't, and Eddie Murphy was, I am great. Yeah, Welcome yeah. to my show where I am awesome. Yeah. And he was so good at it.
2: That because he was so young, mm-hmm. which meant he had less life experience. So he didn't have ex-wives and
0: problems. Yeah. No, everything, he just had swagger.
2: Right. Everything had been go- going well for him.
4: <laughs>
0: like, right.
2: 15, all you got is a, you know, everybody at 15 wants to seem cool. Yeah, so, and then by nineteen he was famous. So then that was his act. You know? Yeah,
0: yeah. I am very cool and very famous.
2: He never got to go on like, man, my boss is a jerk down at. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he never had to be that guy because he never had that life. So it was all
0: swagger and cool. Yeah,
1: yeah. it's crazy to think that that first album, which is uh, Eddie Murphy comedian, he was nineteen yeah. years old.
0: Yeah. Like he, is that the one with kid? the flower behind his ear? Yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. And it has a uh, boogie in your butt on it.
0: Boogie in your butt, boogie in your butt. <laughs> is the, like, of course a 19 year old wrote boogie of in your course. butt. Yeah. That is the, I, it sounds like a 13 year old wrote it, yeah. but it's so funny. But yeah, I mean, between that album, raw and delirious, you've got like yeah. a holy trinity of stand up specials.
2: Well, it's so interesting because, you know, by the time Eddie rolled around, I was like, Becoming a teenager. So I really, I was all in. Like mm-hmm, I was yeah. influenced by Pryor, but I wasn't even thinking about that at that point. Right. I, I was just like, everything about Eddie Murphy. And then he started doing SNL and the movies. And I was just my, he was like, he's my favorite actor, my favorite comedian, my favorite everything. And then as I got older and started doing comedy and look back and I realized, well, Pryor's really my guy yeah. because Pryor's who influenced Eddie. And Cosby influenced Eddie, but I didn't know that. And I wasn't a Cosby guy, but and then I sort of transitioned to Pryor because I mm-hmm. learned more about him and how influential he was. And and I and his and his comedy specials, in my opinion, are better than Eddie's. Mm-hmm. And I realized the difference was like Eddie is is more of a he's such a mimic. Like he does, you know, impressions. He does a lot yes. of impressions in his act. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's not talking about his life really. Like he does a little bit of that, but it's not really about. His personal life and personal things is just jokes about. I mean, he does the stuff about his family and stuff, you know, but it's not the yeah. personal stuff. So it was, so to me, Pryor gave him, Pryor had the edge in that. And but then like for a few years, for several years, I got to the point where and I love Eddie Murphy. He's still like my favorite comedy movie star. I was like, ah, Eddie's stand up isn't like I went back and I didn't really like his stand up special. They didn't hold up mm-hmm. to me. I was like, Eddie's not, you know, he's probably good. He stopped doing stand up and all that. That was sort of my attitude. Like, mm-hmm. I was like, Chris Rock's better than him. Dave Chappelle's better than him. And, uh, but then when I saw Eddie do comedians in cars with. Uh, oh, I
0: haven't seen it. Yeah.
2: You gotta see it. His, it his is,
0: comedians in cars.
2: Yeah. You gotta see it. It's, it's absolutely brilliant. And I go, Oh, Jordan, shut up. This guy's so funny. Like yeah. just talking to Seinfeld, you can see that if he just stands up in front of a mic, you're just going to die laughing. Yeah. It was like, yeah, he's funny. He can't not be funny. He's
0: just effortless. Yeah. He,
2: he's effortless. He, That's just who he is. And I knew that already, especially from his movies, that mm-hmm. it is effortless. But it's like when I saw it, I was like, yeah, he could, he should come back and do standup, but he would be hilarious. It's
1: like, yeah, I'd like to see his take on it now. Cause I think Jordan, you hit the nail on the head, which is he was so young and famous that even the beginning of, I think delirious and raw are about him being young and famous. Yeah. But, the bits I remember the most are his mother making him a hamburger. Yeah. So this is going to be mm-hmm. just like McDonald's. This is, this is mama's burger and him crying like because everybody had had their mother try to make a homemade burger that had like peppers and onions and egg in it and stuff. <laughs> and, and when he would do his drunk father, like anytime yeah. he did his drunk dad yeah. because it felt real. Yeah. But I, I got a, the guy is, he's so good at comedy. When he came back and hosted SNL, and I know you wrote. For the show, you know, like I can't imagine how difficult it is coming up with mm. material like that on a weekly basis and yeah. to have, a, have have an episode where where a large percentage of stuff hits is great and something you to aspire to. His episode is maybe one and I've there isn't an episode I haven't seen I'm a huge SNL fan. That's one of maybe two perfect episodes I can think yeah. of where Everything worked. And that's because he showed up and like, yeah. as great as he is at stand up, he went and did sketch, was great at that. Then he went and did movies, was great at that. He's just good at it. He, he, yeah. he does a, a party he all the time and becomes a number one hit. He did three
2: yeah. The drama and he got nominated for, it. I mean, he was great at that. He can, yep. sing. it's, it's
0: insane. It's, it's, it's frustrating, really. It's annoying how effortlessly good he is at everything.
2: He's so talented that you, you would rather he have not made it. So you can go, how come that guy didn't make it? <laughs>
4: <laughs>
2: it makes more sense if he didn't make it.
1: Yeah. And, right. You know,
2: what's really crazy, like when Eddie was at SNL, he was writing all his sketches, you know, that's mm. even like 19, 20, 21. He's writing Mister Robinson's name, but he's writing James Brown's, you know, hot tub, whatever, you know, and yeah. you just go. So you could write at that age. It's just insane. I can't remember who it was, but who was doing um update when Eddie was there? I can't really remember. Uh, but, wasn't it? Um,
1: was oh my it God.
0: Brad Hall? Brad Hall.
2: I don't. Yeah, I don't remember who it was, but might. But Joe Pisco was who told the story. He oh, was right, doing. Right. Eddie was about to do his first. Bit on SNL and it was a, a update bit, and I guess I guess Joe Piscopo maybe they were doing a bit together, but it was him and Joe Piscopo. Eddie's nineteen and he says, and they're like at commercial, but when they come back, they're gonna do update. And he said Eddie's sitting there and Eddie says to himself, "Wait till the kids at Roosevelt High see this." No, he said the kids at Roosevelt High are not gonna believe this. Like, he, like he's a year out of high school. He's Amazing. Like, he's like my high school classmates aren't going to believe this when they see. It.
0: That's unbelievable. Yeah, that's <laughs> so dumb. It's so dumb and crazy. So let me ask you this then: with these two juggernauts, mm-hmm. it sounds like we're leaning toward Eddie. But does the effortlessness of Eddie Murphy win out over the, I mean, drenched in sweat effort? Mm-hmm. of the pure, open, unbridled mind of Robin Williams. I think I know the answer to this. I mean, I think I have mine, but...
2: I'll say, Eddie, for the reason you brought up earlier, Mark, which is those stand-up specials are so iconic that you even, even though he hasn't done stand-up in like 35 years, everyone considers him a stand-up and wants him to... Everyone's like, yeah. I want Eddie Murphy to do stand-up. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I think that's the difference for me. One
1: hundred percent. I, would, I would was going to say the same thing. Yeah. That idea that like you wanted to come back. Robin Williams, when he stopped, mm-hmm. it was like, yeah, that's great. You, you did it. You, there's like nothing left for you to do. Yeah. And I think he did come back and do a set like, mm-hmm. and, and, and I'm sure, and it was great because he's Robin Williams, but it, beca- it, like he was, it just felt like a, it almost felt like a phase for him. Like it was that was the best way mm-hmm. for him to play, and then he found other ways to play, and then went off and did that. Eddie feels like a like I want to see him do stand. I I want to yeah. see the twenty the twenty twenty or the twenty first century version of of Eddie Murphy now that he's older.
0: If he dropped a stand up
1: special, yeah,
2: where he going to? Yeah, is, is yeah. he really? Yeah, if COVID ever, yeah, he signed a big sixty million dollar deal with Netflix. I, this he, is, he how supposed, did I not know this? This is completely. He news. was supposed to be on the road now developing mm-hmm. his act, which he's not because of COVID. So I right. don't know yeah. what
0: happened with that deal. Thanks. Thanks again, COVID.
2: Right. Not uh. <laughs> <was> bad.
0: Right. <laughs> All right. Let's move on to the, uh, the 1990s. Do you want to yeah. take a break? Let's take a break. Let's, let's take a little quick break. break. Okay. Just, you know, we have, we've, we've been going. Thank you, Jordan, for, for it's going great. through the, the long, long. Yeah. long.
2: These um, are the conversations I'd love to have. Good. Oh, good.
1: Good. Yeah. Uh, in memory of Stephen Wright, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll talk about the '90s and 2000s, and we'll determine the best stand-up comedian of all time, and, and no one Stephen can argue Wright. with us. Yeah. R.I.P. Stephen
2: Wright. Better not die within
1: 30 during this break. Good lord. During the break. No. Oh, within 30 days. <laughs> We are the host of My Brother, My Brother, and Me, and now, nearly 10 years into our podcast, the secret can be revealed. All the clues are in place, and the world's greatest treasure hunt can now begin.
0: Embedded in each episode of My Brother, My Brother, and Me is a micro-clue that will lead you to 14 precious gemstones all around this big, beautiful, blue world of ours. So start coming through the episodes. Uh, let's say starting at episode 101 on. Yeah, the early episodes are pretty problematic, so there's no clues in those episodes. No, no, not at all. The better ones, the good ones, clues ahoy.
1: Listen to every episode repeatedly in sequence. Laugh if you must, but mainly get all the great clues. My Brother, My Brother, and Me, it's an advice show, kind of, but a treasure hunt mainly. Anywhere you find podcasts or treasure maps, My Brother, My Brother, and Me, the hunt is on!
2: Macho man to the top rope! The flying elbow! The cover! We've got a new champion! We're here with Macho Man Randy Savage after his big win to become the new world champion. What are you going to do now,
1: Match? I'm going to go listen to the newest episode of the Tights and Fights podcast, oh yeah! Tell us more about this podcast. It's the podcast of power, too sweet to be sour, funky like a monkey, woke discussions man, and jokes about wrestlers' fashion choices, myself excluded, yeah! I can't wait to listen.
0: Neither can I. You can find it Saturdays on maximum fun. Oh yeah. Dig it. Over the break, Stephen Wright died. Weird uh. terrible news.
1: Can <laughs> <laughs> bleep it could you just bleep all that? Just bleep it. Everything? Would
2: keep bleeping it. Oh god. So then he doesn't even get a shout-out at all. <laughs> and he'll be listening to this going like, they didn't mention me?
0: <laughs> All right. Uh, we've got some great comedians, uh, that came out of the 90s. Again, please, uh, add anyone that you think I missed. Uh, one of them might seem a little odd, but I'll point out why. Really? We have Chris Rock, Bill Hicks, Jerry Seinfeld, Ellen DeGeneres, Mitch Hedberg, Dennis Miller, Dennis Leary, and Eddie Izzard. I realize that Eddie Izzard is a British actor known primarily now, but the reason I put him so high up, uh, I think that he and Chris Rock had the two best uh, – Chris Rock had two – the three best stand-up specials of the 90s. Mm-hmm. Two of them were Chris Rock's and one of them was Eddie Izzard's, which is Dressed to Kill. And I think Bigger and Blacker is yeah. maybe the best stand-up – it may be the best stand-up set, It my personal favorite, maybe the best of all time. Yeah, but let's yeah. go through – let's talk about uh, – there's a, there's a lot of people on this list. Yeah. Hedberg, I put Mitch Hedberg on there again because he's another one of those great ones that was just sort of, uh, gone too soon and did his, he sort of was the heir apparent to Stephen Wright's, mm-hmm. uh, long, God rest his soul. Um, Stephen Wright's style of comedy. Yeah. All of us show them, Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what do you guys think? T- thoughts on this, uh, thoughts on the folks on this list?
2: Um, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not that familiar with Hedberg stuff. I've seen a little bit of it, and mm-hmm. Bill Hicks stuff. I've seen a lot of Bill Hicks stuff, but both of them I didn't discover until after they were dead, right? And so I never like got to go on that journey and really see their stuff at the time. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know what I was doing in the '90s that I missed them, but um fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> you were a young that man. You were working. Yeah. A very young yeah. man I was struggling financially in LA, so yeah, I didn't
0: have a lot of time to. Bill Hicks, unfortunately, he's one of those guys that you know. He he. Not a ton of people know him. His peak was like a year, 1992, I think. That was it. But everybody, every comedian has been influenced by him.
2: Yeah, Bill Hicks is the one that basically Dennis Leary was influenced by, right? Is that mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Everyone compares the two of them, right? Is that? Right? Yeah, I
0: didn't. That I didn't know, but yeah. Oh, that...
2: I, I, okay, I might be thinking of the wrong person. then.
1: No, they are similar mm-hmm. – yeah, he was like an angry – again, yeah. like angry conspiracy. Sam Kinison, I'd say they're in the same sort of family tree. Mm-hmm. He had three albums, uh really three albums, Dangerous, Relentless, and Arizona Bay, mm-hmm. all of which are – they kind of feel like concept albums. There's mm-hmm. a concept album feel to them in, in his use of music in them, which is rare for a stand-up album. But also he feel like he's just on like one side of Art Bell. Like just one side of like the weird <laughs> aliens are real. And I swear I've got one in the tool shed behind my house. Yeah. Just w- wants to take down the government military industrial complex. Like that, that was kind of his bread and butter, mm-hmm. but also just undeniably funny. Like he just knew his craft and he knew who mm-hmm. he was. And yeah. that, that confidence can carry someone really, really far mm-hmm. uh, on stage. And that, that was, I think that to me was like the allure of him that kind of pulls you in. It's like, he's so sure of this.
2: That's a really good point you make, Hal, because I always, I'm sure we all, we recognize this when we see it. Like, especially in standup, confidence is all of it. Yeah. That's why, like, you know, somebody like Johnny Carson can bomb a joke and get a laugh because he's like, I'm not scared of you guys. I'm like, you know, I know (laughs) I'm I'm Johnny Carson. Yeah. (laughs) Like, I can bomb a joke because I'm hilarious. So you're going to laugh no matter. Trust me, you're going to laugh tonight. And that's the hardest thing. I think that's the hardest thing for most comedians to get to is being able to walk on stage and have that confidence that whether I bomb or not, I don't care. Cause I'm somebody, I forget who it was, but I was listening to an interview where somebody was saying how they saw Pryor in the, maybe it was probably the seventies and he was coming in the comedy store like every night and just talking about his life and it was not funny and it was terrible. And they're just like, Jesus, he is not funny anymore. It might have been the eighties, but then. After a while, it started to get funny. Like after, you know, we, and then it became his special and it was this brilliant special. Was like, but I saw it wasn't funny, but he didn't like care. He kept coming in and doing talking about the same stuff and bombing and people are just sitting there not laughing but listening. It's Richard Pryor, so they're listening. Mm-hmm. And, and but you know, this comedian who was telling the story was just like, and I'm thinking like, what's he doing? Why won't he be funny? Oh my god, he's over, he can't do it anymore. And then it's like, oh, he had the confidence. To not care that they're not laughing.
4: Yeah. Like,
2: I'm going to get there. I'm Richard Pryor. If I want to make you laugh, I can make you laugh. I'm trying to develop a new act. So I'm just going to talk about the stuff that I want to be in my act until it's funny. And yeah. I think that, that if you can have that kind of confidence, you can go a long way in stand up.
0: Yeah. God bless.
2: I love his new special, by the way. Who's man. that? Seinfeld.
0: Yeah. Oh, I haven't seen his new special. Look, oh, Seinfeld great. is such a comedian's comedian too. Like yeah. I remember the years ago when that movie comedian came out and he just it, it was all about him retiring his entire act.
3: Yep.
0: Like that guy like it's a and a, and a, and played clean, still plays clean, still working now, still has always been at the top of his game.
2: Yes. He's one of those guys, yeah, who's who was always at the top of his game. Always yeah. Doing yeah. great shows. And if you watch his new one, it's my favorite. So of yeah. always- yeah, because yeah. he does what he never did before that I can remember, which is he talks about his life also. Like the first half is like, mm-hmm. sign for what you expect, like talking about, you know, what are, you know, you know, the whole like, observational, the other sock, you know, he's doing that bit. Yeah. And then he go. He talks about his family and being a dad and a husband. And it's hilarious. It's just like, it's like a breath of fresh air to hear him do that kind of material. It's like really good.
1: So, I mean, I just, I love him. And he's got a ton of like he is pure confidence, like never doubts himself, even when something doesn't do well. Like he's just, you you ex- almost expect because of his cadence that like well oh, you know <laughs> that he's gonna be that it it that almost feels like a timid cadence, mm-hmm. but he could not be like more from the start. Never yeah. does not ever seem to have experienced hardship on his way. Like parents right. were supportive had a grew up in a good family in long island decided he wanted to do comedy was good at it got better and just any goal he had walked away from his show when it was either at its peak or yeah. just on the downslope of it and and like was well, like i don't need to go back I, I did it i'm not gonna top that
4: and
2: walked yeah. walked away from
1: his show when they offered him five million an episode Unbelievable. that
0: is bonkers
2: five for one more season Oh, but that lets you know how much money he already had in the bank.
0: Yeah, that's yeah, exactly. Like,
2: you know, that's like somebody said to me, Jordan, we'll give you 200 bucks. and I'm like, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> I offered Jordan like $200 and he was like, later, I don't want to do your improv show for 200 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I, guess, I guess he's doing okay. <laughs>
1: yeah, that's it. Exactly. Like,
2: Michael was like, I don't need another $110 million. I'm fine. <laughs>
0: I'll say one thing, though, about Jerry Seinfeld. His influence – like all of these have been – all the big ones that we're talking about have been huge influences. I think Jerry Seinfeld's influence might be problematic in that he launched a 1,000 terrible careers. Yes. (laughs) Because he did – he was the first one to just observe the small things of life and make them funny. And then a lot of comedians went, oh, I'll just observe the small minutia of life. And then they forgot about the make it funny part.
2: Well, there's yeah. a lot of TV shows that tried to copy that as well. Yeah. yeah. Well, guys, stop.
0: Stop. Yeah. No one does minutia like Jerry. Yeah, we already yeah. have one. We're good. You know, like, stuff like that. Yeah. That's his voice. He, yeah. didn't, he didn't discover a bit
2: and say, I'll do the minutiae thing. Yeah. like that—that that was his truth. That's just who he is. Yeah, so that's how he saw the world,
0: or how he sees the world. Every time I uh use a hotel shower, I think of a uh, Jerry Seinfeld bit with the tiny soaps, where he's like, "I love tiny uh hotel soaps; they make my muscles look bigger." Uh, so- <laughs> like that's so, yeah, exactly. It's so dumb and pointless, but it makes me laugh. One guy who's kind of uh on that—I
1: keep using family tree. I'll just keep going. Uh, is David Brenner, who was. Yeah. he was a really great comedian and, and sort of had his heyday in the seventies. I think it was Gilbert mm. Gottfried who would do a bit where David Brenner and Jerry Seinfeld are having a conversation. I love that. And it's bit. just like, you ever drive a car? You ever go drive a car? Why do people drive cars? They are like the flip. It's that flip yeah. side of how, of setting up maybe a similar joke. Yeah. But I, th- I think like if you, if you were looking in a dictionary and you needed to have a picture for the word comedian. Yeah. It would probably be Jerry Seinfeld. Just because Mm -hmm. he that's what he is. Uh, his television show, he was a comedian on a television show. He didn't disappear into the role the way Mm -hmm. the way other comedians who are maybe better actors. He was playing Jerry Seinfeld comedian. Yes. And and doing his best at it. Bless his heart. He you know, he couldn't act and he didn't even attempt to. Yeah.
2: Although like he would break in scenes and it was like Yeah. He'd be smiling. um, that smile that where he's trying not to laugh, but they leave it in. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he's, yeah, he has that sort of dumb
0: half grin on his face yeah. for Especially, half of the episodes.
2: Yeah. Especially when it's something he's saying that's cracking himself up. Mm mm-hmm. hmm. saying it with that half grin. I was <laughs> going to say, I do think there's a name missing off here Gary Shanling. Oh, yes. yeah, Yeah. Shanling, because even though he was 70s and 80s, but 90s mm-hmm. was when he
0: was his 80s. Well, it's Gary Shandling's show was such a great meta. I mean, Larry uh, Sanders was great. I loved the Larry Sanders show. It, yeah, but just what the Gary Shandling—it's Gary Shandling's show—did right down to the theme song being "This is the theme to Gary's show." Yeah. Yeah. Gary called me up and asked if I would write a theme song. Like, I've always been such a huge meta fan. Yeah, me too. So, yeah, he's... And Larry oh.
2: Sanders is so incredible. It's such an incredible... Yeah. Show. Both of those shows are incredible. And I just, you know, Larry Sanders actually got a chance to, like, you know, be a show as as opposed to its Gary Shandling show. And mm-hmm. I feel like if that had continued, it would have gotten to, It would have been on a pedestal to right? the way Larry Sanders is. So,
0: Yeah. Hundred percent. Let's talk about another comedian uh, from the '90s. They all have TV shows. Ellen, who's had multiple TV shows. Yeah, Ellen DeGeneres was one of those comedians that I loved growing up. Because it, I don't know if she played clean all the time, but she played mostly clean, as I, I remember. is clean. Yeah, she's pretty clean. But her, she did minu- She was one that did minutia in the same way that Seinfeld, not in the same way, but as well as Seinfeld. But there was something about her. M- minutia that wasn't commenting on the world it seemed to me like she was always commenting on look how similar all human beings are yeah she would find things that were so universal where whether you're an imam in the middle east or you're you know a banker in detroit everybody has done the i tripped on the sidewalk but i'm gonna do a little jog jog. so you don't think i tripped yep like yeah. her, her stuff was so it's so in wonderfully inclusive of yeah. all of humanity yeah
1: but she, she also has like weird weird quirky stuff that's great too she had a bit when she was still in the closet about dating a guy and over mm. the course of the bit you realize she's stalking him she's like so <laughs> i'm going through his garbage like but everything's nonchalant right and yeah. such a great delivery i do think her last couple specials, which are on Netflix mm. are so good. And one of them, she went out. She was just like, Portia never saw me do comedy. So I wanted to go mm-hmm. out and do a tour so she could see it. And she's so, she's so good at it. And to see her do it now where she doesn't have to face the same persecution she did or mm-hmm. the same, you know, she can be herself. Mm-hmm. It's just to me at like a whole other gear she found. And well, I, I mean, love it, to watch it.
2: it. Is that thing like even in her era? You know, cause she started before the nineties. She started in the eighties, but,
3: mm-hmm.
2: uh, but she hit her, you know, she hit her stride in the nineties. Um, you know, like it was so hard for the women. Like, like they weren't, you know, when the tonight show, uh, bookers came, they would be like, no women, we don't know. We're
0: not booking Yeah. Women. You know? I didn't know that they flat out just said that.
2: Yeah, I mean, a lot of times they would just say, you know, like to your agent or your manager, like, yeah, we're not booking women or we already had a woman this year. Jeez. <laughs> you know? Or, you know, but clubs
3: would do uh, Yeah.
2: We already have a woman going up tonight. So we don't need another yes. woman. Yeah. And, it's uh, not a
0: checkbox.
2: Right. And they, so they would, um, so she had to deal with all that. And like, mm-hmm. and women weren't getting TV shows when she started. So her goal was never like, I'll get on there and I'll get on, you know, I'll do up and I'll get on tonight's show and I'll get a show. Like mm-hmm. that couldn't have been her plan <laughs> she was the right. for the love of it. You know? Yeah. And luckily time, you know, Time can- got on her side at a certain point when they started doing that more and those doors mm-hmm. started to eventually open because of women like her,
3: you know.
1: Yeah. yeah. It's interesting to think if it had been twenty years earlier yeah, or even ten years earlier, it might have been Elaine Boozler who right, yeah. took yeah. off, who's another like brilliant comedy
0: writer, also a great stand up. Yeah, Boozler, just, uh Rudner was another great. Like, yeah, Rita Rudner. They all – and and like there is sort of a, a really fun thing. I don't know if Elaine Boozler did it as much because she seemed a little more brash. Mm-hmm. And I don't know who if it was Ellen or Rita Rudner or even like Wendy Liebman that yeah. started this. Like you mentioned that, so I'm going through his trash. There's this certain cadence of throwing away under your breath the punchlines. Wendy lines. Liebman did that. Yeah, Wendy maybe. Liebman did it but famously she was I think the master of it but yeah I mean it, it, it's just there was there was something about that that I loved and Ellen kind of like the you know that sort of understated where where it's not this is the setup here's the punchline. it's I'm just gonna, I'm gonna squeeze a thought here in the middle yeah. and then I'm gonna keep going with the thing but the thought in the middle was the punch you know what I mean like Mm-hmm. It's just a fun way to craft jokes that I think they found. And I would
2: say Elaine Boozler is another one because she was huge for a while. I mean, yeah. she was mm-hmm. everywhere on every, anywhere they did, had stand-up specials on TV, she was on that show. Mm-hmm. You know, so she was huge. And, uh, and definitely if they, if networks were giving women comedian shows, then she would have had, and maybe she had a pilot. I don't know. She probably right. had a few pilots for all I know. A few sure. development teams, you know. But, um, but yeah, she was, you know, she, cause I, I remember as a kid, like I knew who Elaine Boozler was.
0: Sure. And then uh, Dennis Miller, I also have on this list, uh, his sort of introducing, at least to me, like, or popularizing when he was on SNL at doing Weekend Update, that super, super cerebral, like, I'm telling jokes for 5% of the viewing audience, but I'm not going to dumb what I'm doing down to your level. I'm going to make you climb up to mine. And if you have to grab a dictionary, go ahead. I'll wait.
2: But what was good about that was, even though he was doing that, because I didn't know those words or some of those references, Mm -hmm, I was still in on the joke. I still knew what he was doing, so I knew like he'd make his little like punchline or his aside, and I would know that oh that's that has something to do with whatever this picture is he's making, right? And and that's part. And also the fact that I don't know what that is is part of his
0: joke. Yeah. His, I'm smarter than you.
2: Right. That, it was, yeah, it was part of his joke was that, yeah, you don't know what I'm saying. So it's that thing I'll say to people sometimes, like writers or comedians or, you know, sketch people, you gotta let the audience in. Right now, Mm -hmm. this is all you and what you want to do, but the audience doesn't have a way in. And he did, he was able to do that, but also let the audience in. And I think that was, I don't know how he did that because it was, it was
1: pretty pretty great. Well, part of it, like every, but every, there's a music to every stand up's, uh, delivery, not only their mm-hmm. rhythm, but the music. And he had a very specific, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. and as soon yeah. as he got to that, you knew it was a laugh yeah. and you knew, like, you, you were conditioned to do it. And, and I'm sure SNL was a big help to him because that was the way he did weekend update. So mm-hmm. when he would go out on the road, they would see the same rhythm, even if yeah. it was different material and they knew, like, you're, your condition. He it's he elaborate. was very good at conditioning people to to laugh. If I, if you look at a transcript of some of his stuff, it probably wouldn't jump off the page. Yeah. But him delivering it took it to another level. Yeah. Yeah. Now the guy who will probably come out of this decade. Do you think we've seen the best work Chris Rock has to offer? I feel like he still has so much. Like I'm excited to see what he's going to do next. Yeah. Yeah.
2: You know. I my Chris Rock story is this. I first, the first time I ever saw Chris Rock was on if now go with me. It was on Arsenio, but not the Arsenio Hall show, but when Arsenio took over for Joan Rivers. Yep. Uh-huh. Joan got fired and then they brought Arsenio. It's how Arsenio ended up getting his own show. Arsenio took over and then the ratings exploded. And Arsenio, I think I think he had Eddie on. Mm-hmm. And Eddie brought on Chris Rock saying, I saw this kid. He's really funny. And Chris, went, and they were like, he's 17. I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm <15. laughs> I gotta go. I should be. <laughs> and he came out and he did his act. And I thought he was funny as hell. I just loved him. I was so like impressed. Mm-hmm. But then after that, I just always followed his career and I kept mm-hmm. waiting for him to become this huge star. And he would come out with stand up specials and stand up albums. And I was like, why is no one talking about Chris Rock? Why is not even after SNL? I was like, what? And then when, um, bring the pain came out on HBO, yeah. first HBO special, I watched it and it was so brilliant. And I said to myself, I'll never forget. I said to myself, if people don't become Chris Rock fans after this, I'm, I'm done. I'm done trying to make Chris Rock happen. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> people, yeah. people are stupid. They don't know what talent is. And I'm done trying to wait for Chris Rock to break. And then of course he did. And, yeah. uh, but I was like, I thought he was that brilliant. The, for the first time I saw him, he wasn't, trust me. But, right. I, sure. But I guess I saw the Colonel in there, and, um, I was so happy when he, when that happened for him.
0: Uh, yeah, he, and he's, I think he's, what he's become through his stand-up specials is, is America's conscience. Yeah. Like, or, and America's common sense. He's Jiminy Cricket. Yeah. He's the world's funniest Jiminy Cricket. Because it's not all stories from his life. It's, right. hey, everybody this is what we are getting right and this is what we are getting wrong yeah and i can't think of anything that i disagree with him on right (laughs) you know what i mean like yeah in in every way that he says we're getting this thing wrong he's a hundred percent correct yeah and smart he's so like he's yeah It's going to be tough for anybody to beat Chris Rock coming out of the '90s for me, because like I said, Bigger and Blacker I think is the perfect stand-up special. Bring the Pain is amazing. Yeah, it's the other one that, like I said before, the the three best stand-up specials I've ever seen are uh, or from that era were these guys.
2: I would argue that everyone on this list would say Chris Rock (laughs) should be yeah '90s that we pick. I don't think anyone would say. Notice.
0: Yeah. But I did want to give a shout out specifically for my friend Barbara, who I know is listening, who, cause she listens to every episode and gives me her opinions on them, uh, <laughs> afterwards. She will yell at us that this is, I think we should change the title of this to best American stand up. Okay. Because we really, like, there are, mm-hmm. like, I know I'm, no, I'm going to get a text that's like, how can you not mention Tim Minchin? Or, but, yeah,
3: yeah.
0: but I do have Eddie Izzard on this list because I think dress to kill. Mm-hmm. Is a pretty flawless stand-up special. Yeah. And Billy Connolly also is a to. great stand-up. Billy Connolly's brilliant. Yes, yes. And I'm sure there are performers in other languages who <laughs> we don't know that are like that are the giant mega stars of their yeah. language. But I
2: think you have to worry, Mark. I'm sure no one's going to think that it's decided. They decided, and I didn't even get a chance.
0: <laughs> oh, you would. You'd be surprised, my friend. <laughs> I would be surprised.
2: And now it's over.
0: Yeah. Well, look, <laughs> I can't once talk we about decide, about it anymore. Once we decide, it's, it's, it's set it's, in it's stone. A for all time. No
1: one else can get in. That's it. Look, this conversation is deader than Stephen Wright. We're done. You <laughs> we can't.
2: You
1: <laughs> <We> can't.
2: And <laughs> then theory, I'll just say about Dennis. What I loved about Dennis was his manic yeah. energy and the anger. And how funny it was! Oh yeah, like you'll see some comics who are doing anger, but you feel like you really are angry, and it's off-putting. Like yeah. you're mad. But he was playing the anger, but he played it where you knew that, like again, like I said about Dennis Miller, it's like, but he's letting the audience in on it. We're in this together.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it's, it's, like it's attacking you. It feels cathartic, like uh, yeah. uh, it, even in film form, in the ref, which mm-hmm. is. A yeah. great Christmas movie that not enough people are talking about. Uh just his him getting upset and like punching things or putting to break yeah. something. You're at the you're there with him. You're like, yeah, this is real annoying. I would be that mad too. So he's <laughs> he's expressing it on your behalf, which is yeah.
0: which is really nice. His pure anger is always hilarious. But it's got to be Chris Rock coming out of this. Yeah, absolutely. Chris
2: Chris more than earned that.
0: Now it gets a little trickier when we move into the 2000s because I've kind of just lumped 2000 to 2020 all into one group because this is in our adult lifetimes, uh, you know, and frequently these a lot of these are people that we've either seen or I know you've worked with a ton of them, Jordan, like some of the the greats of the past 20 years, you know, like – so you'll have I'm sure you'll have some insight on some of these as well, which I'm very excited about. Yep. Uh I will say uh, so from the 2000s, here's our list. We have Dave Chappelle, obviously, Louis C.K. problematic. Now I told you there'd be some problematic ones on here. Undeniably a brilliant stand up. Sarah Silverman, Wanda Sykes, Patton Oswalt, Zach Galifianakis, Hannah Gadsby. And of course, our dear friend, Paul F. Tompkins.
1: Mm-hmm. I had, to, I had to put him on there just cause I think he, his,
0: he absolutely does. He's one of the great storytellers. Yeah.
1: And it's amazing that, like, as little, like, Paul's not going up every night. No, He's right. not, not doing a ton of stuff. But when he comes out with something.
3: Yeah.
1: His, uh, uh, just anything after impersonal is good too. That's him like retiring all of his old bits so he can move mm-hmm. in a new direction. And then his run of albums after that, I think it's Freak Wharf, Crying and Driving, and, um, Laboring Under Delusions, I think is, is, like top to bottom one of the best stand-up albums that you that you could listen to about him having different jobs. Mm-hmm. He's like so good. Yeah. He's not Eddie Murphy. He's not Chris Rock. Mm-hmm. Like right. he's not up in that stratosphere. But it he wasn't was, it was he wasn't weird. the
0: game changer, but he's a brilliant, brilliant unbelievable. And, uh, and
2: it comes down to the fact that he's funny. Yes.
0: yes. That's he's just, the
2: number one thing. If you ain't funny, I don't care how smart you are. Yeah. Or, mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Or brilliant you are, how you can write a joke. If you ain't funny, nobody wants it.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, Carlin actually said something that I thought was great. uh Years ago in an interview, he said, he said, I don't get it when comedians say like, well, I want you to laugh, but I also want you to think. He's like, I don't care if you think yeah. it's like, I want you to laugh. And I want you to know that I'm thinking.
2: Yeah. I I like, heard that. I've said that many times because a lot of my writing is I'll tell people, like, I do, you know, it's, it's social commentary because that just comes naturally to me. It's mm-hmm. not like I want to say something. It's just based on my right. life and my experiences. So it becomes social. I said, but if I have to choose between social commentary and making them laugh, it's the laugh all yeah. day. They came to laugh. The laugh. They didn't yeah. say, I want to go to see this comedy show, but I hope I learned something tonight. No one goes to a comedy <laughs> show thinking.
0: Right. <laughs> <It's the laughs> oldest Maybe those in the 50s and 60s going to see Mort Saul.
2: Right. <laughs> Like people go to see a, you know, a, um, you know, they go to a TED talk if they want to learn something and on a stand up show.
0: Yeah. Hal has added a couple more names to this list just now uh, oh, that I definitely agree with. John Mulaney, Dimitri Martin and Tig Notaro.
2: Well, I'm a huge, huge, huge Mulaney fan.
0: Of and course. It's yeah.
2: to get me to be a fan of comedians that I didn't sort of like grow up with. Mm-hmm. Because I always feel like, hey, that's not comedy. But Mulaney, I, I saw Mulaney at Largo. I went to see a show there, and it was like a mm-hmm. bunch of stand-ups. And John mm-hmm. Mulaney came up, and I knew who he was, but I'd never heard his stand-up. And I was like, oh, he's really funny. But I thought he probably just had a good night. Then I oh, came yeah. up later and saw someone else's show, and he got up. And he was killed. And I was like, oh, oh, my God, he's really funny. Then I went and listened to all his albums.
0: Yeah. Yep. He's like, so good. So My cool. introduction was his, uh, his first SNL appearance when he did, like, what a great hook to have. A comedian who doesn't hate things. His whole hook for that bit was, I love it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it was just, just, he's like, so he's so good. He's so yeah. good and he's so sort of unapologetically optimistic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like he's, he's weirdly, somehow he's the cynical optimist.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's great. That's a great description.
0: Which is an impossible thing to be, yeah. but somehow he does, it.
2: He does it. it. He's so good. He's so good. It makes me crazy because I feel like I shouldn't like you this much. You're not from the eighties.
4: <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't want to yeah. see
2: everything you do. Yeah. <laughs> and then of course, <laughs>
0: He said when he talks about the Catholic Church, because grow, growing up Catholic, when he talks about oh, the Catholic Church, changing your lines. Yeah. Like, when did they change our lines? I had that same thought. Because <laughs> I, like, I remember thinking that because it had been a decade since I'd been to church, and I went and I was like, "We're saying different words now." And then here's this comedian, an exact experience that I had, the funny version.
2: I love the bit about the Catholic Church when he talks about how his mother asked him if his wife, who's Jewish, would convert. <laughs> and he, he was like doing like how I, how would I do that like okay there's a Catholic church don't Google us. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh.
0: Oh. All right, then we have Dimitri Martin, who is of course uh, grandson of the late Stephen Wright. Yes, I didn't know that. <laughs> well, I mean, as I mean, comedically, comedically like, the grandson.
2: Oh, okay, I got you.
0: Okay, the dad, the dad in the middle being Mitch yes. Hedberg.
2: There you go, I got
0: you. But another great uh a gr- another great comedian who uh just is like here is I am I am deadpan and here is jokes in their purest form. Heck, he, here's a blackboard behind yeah. me. Another one on that same line that I would say who is brilliant now who's sort of in that same vein as Aparna uh Aparna Nancharla who yes. who does it with PowerPoint presentations. <laughs> like just sort of her quiet, you know, shy persona and these insanely funny PowerPoint presentations. Like I am present, they're presenting jokes. Yes. Regardless of how they do it, they are just, well, I know I'm not the most charismatic person in the world and I talk kind of quietly. So here's my way of presenting my brain to you, (laughs) which is why so many of them are so good on Twitter.
2: But on the, Um, uh, like if we, on this list here, I would say like, yeah, obviously Dave Chappelle is, one of the greatest comedians working today.
0: Of course. Yep. By
2: far, probably. Louis C.K., mm-hmm. who I never liked personally, but I did love his show. Mm-hmm. I mean, I shouldn't say I didn't, like, I didn't like his stand-up that much, even though he has one of my favorite jokes of all time um, that I tell people all the time. But I'd say I, I give him credit for it. But um, his show was so brilliant, so I fell in love with him because of that show. But I Louis only, or Lucky Louis? Yeah, Lucky. No, the, uh Louis. Louis, was yeah. It Louis, Louis?
1: Or just Louis? Yeah, it was Louis. It was just Louis, yeah.
2: The song was Louis, Louis. Right. Um, yeah, But he you know what? I'll be honest with you. He always rubbed me the wrong way. And he always came across to me a little too arrogant.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And I'd never appreciate the fact that he felt it was okay for him to use the N-word in his act.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Even though I don't believe in censorship, I don't care if you use it, but he wore it as a badge. Like, I'm being brave. And I'm like, no, because you're a white guy doing it in front of an all-white audience. yeah, So they don't got a problem with it. Do it at the Apollo if they laugh, it's yeah. funny, it's funny. you get them to laugh, it's funny, and I'll yeah. laugh, you know because I yeah. don't care to use the word, but if you're using it in a way that is just to be shocking or to prove that words shouldn't have meaning, it bothers anyway, I don't want to get on soapbox about that, but I do think he was very talented, but I never mm. was that great that much into his stand up
1: well, and also like when. When all the accusations came to light, you're like, oh, yeah, he's he's uh, a complete dirtbag. And I'd heard a rumor mm-hmm. like a year or two before it broke. Like, mm-hmm. you know, he corners waitresses and comedy clubs. I was like, no, I yeah. don't know him. Like, I just heard it sort of offhand. I was like, oh, that's terrible. Mm-hmm. But if you go back and listen to his act, the cl- it's like the the end of the usual suspects. The clues are all there yeah. that, that that's who he was this entire time both in his actions and in how bad his apology was. Cause his apology mm-hmm. was like super privileged. Like I understand that I'm very powerful like that. It's all yeah. there and it's and it. So it, it makes his, it makes his stuff worse. Yeah. Going back to yeah. it. Yeah.
2: yeah. I mean, like again, like some of this stuff I thought was really funny. Some of his takes, but because I always got this bad vibe, like, For example, and I don't want, you know, whatever, but like when he did his joke at SNL, his stand, his, um, opening monologue did the thing about pedophiles Mm -hmm. and it was a brilliant joke. I thought it was a great joke, but it it didn't feel right coming from him because I always felt like he just seems like a gross guy and not that I thought he was a pedophile because I didn't, but I just felt like that's not your joke to tell. You know, right. Sarah Silverman right. that joke to me, like I can hear Sarah Silverman call that joke and I would love her for it. But like with him, I was just like, you just seem like a jerk.
0: <laughs> yeah. And that was his whole act was I'm a gross, awful dirt bag.
2: Right. But the problem was, it turned out to be true. And it's like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it. It's true. There are plenty of gross, awful dirt bags sort or of stand up comedians, but that's not their act.
0: Right. <laughs> 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 Let's talk about Sarah Silverman, because yes. she is. She is one of one of the greats.
3: She is. Yes. Mm-hmm.
0: I think that like the way her brain works mm-hmm. and she's got and that sort of high-pitched kind of cutesiness that she figured out how to play so perfectly. I thought her TV show was great. It was a lot of fun. But as like as a stand-up voice. Yeah. She's a um, pure, she's another one of those pure She's stuff. a pure stand-up. And saying that she will say offensive things. Oh yeah. to be, she will say offensive things to be offensive. But like you said, she could get the laughs at the Apollo because yeah. she could crack that smile afterwards. She's so cheeky. She is in the way that she says brilliant, brilliant things. And what I like what you said, like about
2: she has sort of that cutesy kind of voice she does, mm-hmm. which like she sucks you in with it and then makes you feel dirty for it. Like yeah. Oh, come yeah. on. I thought we were safe. <laughs> <laughs> you made me laugh at that. Now everybody thinks I think that's funny. You know, like, yeah. I that. And she's definitely one of my all time favorites, mm-hmm. you know, uh, comedians. Yeah. And matter of fact, it was one of her shows that I think I first saw John Mulaney do And mm-hmm. Largo. Like she was, uh, emceeing it and bringing people out. And I, and you know, I, I try to go see her anytime I can and I
0: try to watch anything she does because she just never disappoints. No. And she does a great job of pushing the envelope. Yeah. Like she has pushed stand up so far, not just in the way that it's, yeah, what she says a lot of times is dirty. And that coming out of that voice is funny, but she says, you know, incredibly astute, Mm -hmm. frequently really dark things and brings you along and things that other comedians haven't talked about before. She can get away with because it's packaged in this sort of bubbly sounding persona. Yeah.
2: And I feel right. like if Sarah, if Sarah were a guy, she'd have such a, she would have at least gotten a chance to have a huge movie career because mm-hmm. she's that good of a stand up. And just the fact that, you know, she got her show on Comedy Central, which was great and was a great show. But that, you know, the fact that she didn't get these opportunities to have leads in movies as funny as she is, mm-hmm. you know, when so many guys were a lot less funny and then got two, at least two or three shots. Right, right. A lead in a comedy, you know, just speaks to the sexism that they have to deal with, you know, in the stand-up world.
0: Yeah, that's
1: true. And also she's, it's interesting to watch her voice evolve over time. She's never stopped being uh, offensive and pushing the envelope, but she also seems to understand what it means to push the envelope in 2020 versus how she pushed the envelope in 2000 or 2005 where, hey, maybe some of the things I said then are not things I need to say now. I'm gonna find new ways to to be true to myself. And that's that's the mark of like her dedication to her craft yeah and just how good she is. What well, happens the, if you take away the the tool, like something that may have been like a crutch or, or a tool that she used before and she's still able to not miss a beat and, and maybe get better.
2: Well the best artists, their work matures with them yeah they don't hold on to their heyday and try to keep repeating that and trying to recreate that moment they go i 'm older, so the stories i 'm telling are about that and yeah. that's it i don 't care if you're a songwriter or whatever it's like if you're like you know sixty six i don 't want you trying to write me a dance club hit right' I don't want you to yeah. about what it's like being a grandparent who's you know staring at retirement and mortality and you know i, I want you I want my art the artists I love to mature with me and mm-hmm. the things I'm dealing with, I want them telling those stories, you know?
0: And I yeah. think the about the bravest maturation she could have done was I love you, America. Yeah. Like, I mean, yep. for someone who is so like, I mean, she was, you know, Bernie rallies and like, yeah. like she is not, she does not hide how she feels about the world at all. And for her to create something like I love you, America as like, that's, that's her maturing. That's her going, okay, let's heal. Let's figure out how to heal.
2: And that is, that's maturation. That's, her, yeah. you know, let, I'm, I've grown up, so I'm not going to just say, you know, forget those guys, you know. Yeah. Let me try to see if we can, you know, talk to each other.
0: Yeah. She's great. We, we haven't talked about Wanda Sykes yet. Wanda Sykes is. So funny. She's just purely funny.
2: Have you seen her yeah. last special on Netflix?
0: No, I haven't no. yet.
2: I think it's her best yet. It's, yeah. Again, it's because like she's a woman of a certain age at this point, so yeah. her her material is just so deep, so much deeper. And talking about her kids and her wife, and, mm-hmm. and it is just like it is just so relatable, but so funny. And she talks, yeah. you know,
0: political and all that too. But she's so good. I mean, her voice always sounds to me like she's smacking the back of your hand.
2: Yeah, of course. That <laughs> you was know what so, I mean? Was Sona for so long, anyway. Yeah. And, uh, but it has matured, and that's kind of what we were saying about Sarah. It's matured. That's,
0: I, I'm not, yeah, I'm not familiar with her newest, uh, special. I gotta check it out.
2: Yeah. If you like her, I think you'll really like, cause I think it's her best special yet.
0: Yeah. Then we've got, of course, some more of the Largo nerds. A lot of yeah. Largo nerds on this list. Yeah. So, uh, the, like there are, the, Largo is one of those great venues that there are so many people that are so closely associated with mm-hmm. it. And I think it's because Flanny curates it. It's yeah, not you can't you don't yeah. rent that space, right? You know what I mean. You, yeah, you Flanny asks that. Like you a, to play like there. Like to book some dates. Yeah, no, you don't yeah. book dates. <laughs> <laughs> and and that's Pat Oswalt and Zach Galifianakis. Uh, I can mention them in the same breath because they're kind of you know same era, same yeah. era. You know,
2: I mean, I love both of those guys.
0: Yeah, I yeah. think yeah. I,
2: I discovered Zach when he had his VH his short lived VH1 show.
0: Yeah, I remember that. VH1
2: show. I'd never even heard of him before. And then it was like, like he would sit at the piano and I was like, I was like, who is this guy? I'm like, Oh my God, this guy is so funny. Mm-hmm. Like, how did they find him? Cause he's not famous. So how did he get his own show?
0: He was the Largo <laughs> guy. I saw him first at Largo doing Kevin Nealon's show in 2001. Wow. And he was like, he was middle of the lineup, uh, hopped up after Arj Barker <laughs> and, uh, and told, dropped an N bomb in a joke but
2: back when, when you still kept, good.
0: back when you back <laughs> sure, back when it was okay <laughs> but i was like i was like who is this guy who just did that and knew it would kill and it did kill but it stung right and then he went on to just do the most bonkers like seven minute set i've ever seen
2: he's so good yeah it's hard, and it's hard like we were talking about andy kaufman mm-hmm. and robin williams it's harder to do a bonker set that is good, clean and makes sense because yeah. there are guys who will go up and just they'll be funny and they can be a little and they'll be bonkers. But it doesn't feel like it's like they've crafted anything yet.
0: Right. Yeah. And
2: so to me, that has to be the hardest thing to do.
0: Yeah. Like his tearing sheets off of a giant easel while dressed like Annie. Yeah. Like, and, and it working, you're like, what is this insanity that this man is doing?
2: Because the audience, when they see you, when you come out and that's what you're going to do, the audience's first thought is, I don't want this. Yeah. I want a microphone and I want you to tell me some jokes and make me laugh. I don't want your little performance art piece. So when you can get them to get on board with that, Mm -hmm. uh, that's hard. That's why other people, that's why more don't do it. Yeah. So like audience, if I've dragged some prop on, the audience, I've lost the audience at the beginning.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but God, he gets them. He, yeah. yeah. And Patton, of course, just, I mean, brilliant. The, another one of those brilliant sort of voices of reason for America and the voice, like the first one on this list, I think that is like unapologetically the voice of the nerds. Yeah.
1: Yeah, he, he, he's like a weird flip side of the Dennis Miller coin in that he'll make like Captain Beefheart references in his mm-hmm. bits. Yeah. And even if you don't know who Captain Beefheart is, you're going to laugh at it because of his, he's got such a great delivery, but he's also, I mean, the special he did, the first special he did back after his wife passed away mm-hmm. was so good. Like he's so personal. He, he manages to create this hybrid that is both Very personal to him and, and therefore makes it relatable to all of us because he's talking about somewhat common experiences. And then also super nerdy political stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, super nerdy, just regular nerdy stuff. His bit about, about the Star Wars prequels is so good. Yeah. And such a, like the way he lays things out, not only is it funny, but it makes sense.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I haven't seen that one yet. I can't wait to watch it. It's great. Um, but like you know, when you talk about like making a Captain Beefheart reference, that not everybody's gonna get, but they still get it. Like they get yeah. what you, what they know. They get the joke, even if they don't get the reference. And mm-hmm. like as a television writer, I can't tell you how hard it is to convince you know the powers that be that you know you'll get that. And they're like ah, I don't know if everyone will get that. And It's like they don't have to get that. Like they don't have to know the reference to get the joke. Like they actually will yeah. appreciate it more. This Like if you do it this way, it'll be appreciated more. But if you just go straight forward, then it's like, well, yeah, they know what that is. I don't know how funny it is. And so many times you lose that battle and you end up not doing a joke at all.
3: Like, yeah. you know,
2: just straight lines like, oh, well, that's so it's such a hard. So it's a great one as a stand up because you can do what you want. But that's always my thing. It's like, don't explain it. Don't explain it. People like I, in my opinion, studios and networks, they underestimate the intelligence of their audience all the time. Because I'm like, if you get it, they get it. Mm-hmm. You're not smarter than them. You just aren't. It's not you're not dumb. Yeah. The vast majority of people aren't as dumb as you think they are. They just yeah. aren't. We all pretty much know all the same stuff. We all grew up in front watching the same shows, learning the same stuff in school. So pretty mm-hmm. much we all know all the same references. And if I, even if I don't know exactly what Captain Beefheart part is, I probably have an inkling of, oh, it's a musician. It's a thing. I heard it somewhere, you know, and the, and the context in which you're using it tells me enough about it. But yeah, that's a really hard thing to, uh, convince. So I love when, com- I love when comedians do that. Like my yeah. wife would watch Family Guy with me and Family Guy does. All these pop culture references that my wife does not get because she didn't grow up in front of the TV like I did. Mm-hmm. But she would laugh the whole time. And this is me going like, well, see, the reason that's funny is this. And then she'd be like, <laughs> <laughs> What you don't know about that is that, you know, Tom Cruise did Vanilla Sky and then but it was a Spanish version of it first. And, and, oh and, my God. and she's like, I don't like show, you're ruining the show. I'm just
1: like, uh, I just I nothing I just ruins didn't realize. I do the like, same thing to my wife when we're watching oh something. God. I'll pause it. Oh, how? And like, nobody likes pausing. Like, mm-hmm. I get, like, if she asks a question, I'm like, pausing it and I'm like, oh, I really want to continue watching it. But when I'm like, I pause it and then I I turn like, did you, that reference is from, and I, I just, I've never wanted <laughs> to punch myself in the face more than <laughs> well, right I now.
2: I need you to appreciate this on the level it deserves. Yes. Right. So you're laughing, <laughs> but, but it's deeper than that. There's more there's more there's jokes inside the joke there's
0: a here's a PowerPoint. nothing uh nothing kills comedy like analyzing it so let's keep analyzing it (laughs) I do love I just one more thing on Patton Oswalt that I love about him is it feels to me like he is like that guy aside from the fact that he's Patton Oswalt and he's a super famous comedian if you didn't know that and you were just seeing him for the first time, it seems like the only room where he is high status. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that goes, there's a lot of comedians that that's kind of the thing, but he does it so well where it's like, all right, well, this is my domain.
2: You know, we have a thing I say about like comedians, actors, when people we talk about like egos and all that, and you're like, well, he's not necessarily, and I say, here's the thing about being on stage.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Being on stage is, I'm saying, as someone who wants to go on stage to do a show, is I want everyone to come to this event. We're going to turn off all the lights. You guys never talk. Turn on the light on me. Only one get light on me, and I'm the only one who talks. (laughs) And that's a fun, you know. And that's a fun night out for me. (laughs) (laughs) That's who you're dealing with. So they talk about like that guy has such an ego. I'm like, well, yeah. He said, turn off all the lights. No one else talk turn the light on on me and I'm the only one who's going to talk. And when I stop talking, I want everyone to go home. To want to do that. Oh. That's a, you know, like whatever I have to say is so good. And so interesting. No, it's like going to a party and someone saying like, this is, I know this is a party, but no one's going to talk and you guys are all going to sit in the dark. And then I'm just going to hold court.
0: Oh my like, oh, God. God. <laughs> um. Uh, Well, here's someone who, uh, well, one more on this list before we talk about who is probably going to come out of the 2000s (laughs) on top. Hal mentioned Hannah Gadsby, uh, famous for the comedy special Nanette, where she announced her retirement from comedy and has a new special coming out next week,
2: I think. Right. Um, Introduction to the world and her retirement.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Which like that, she's sort of a cool, weird outlier in this for that reason that, 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 that that star shone so bright, so quickly, claimed it was going to go out. Yeah. Whether or not, you know, like, and like, I'm sure with every intention of doing that, of being like, no, this is it, I'm done.
2: She didn't know there'd be a demand. Yeah. Yeah. She didn't know there'd be a demand for more specials. She'd had her career up to that point where there was no demand.
0: So she does a special.
2: And then I'm done. It's like, oh, oh, wait, you want me to come (laughs) and you'll pay me how much?
0: Yeah. I'm excited to see what she does with her return.
2: What is her new one called?
0: I don't know. It's, but it's, it's, is it out yet or is it? I don't know about to come out. It's like, I heard
2: the title, but it's like another person's name. I can't remember.
0: I don't know if it came out during Stephen Wright's lifetime or not. (laughs) It's called Douglas. Oh, Douglas. Uh, so the jury is out on Hannah Gadsby. I'm excited to see what she does. Uh, but let's talk about Dave Chappelle. Yes. I mean, I can't even, I'm speechless.
2: Well, you know, I, I'll be honest. I mm. wasn't a huge stand-up fan of his back when he was doing his, um, TV show. I love the show, right? Mm-hmm. So I mean, I appreciated his stand-up, but I wasn't like, Oh my God, this guy is great. And, but, the, but the show was great. It was brilliant. And I was a huge fan. And when he came back though, I could not believe And I mean, some people will feel he was that great the whole time. So Mm -hmm. forgive me for saying that. Some people are going to say you're an idiot, Jordan. But when he came back and did his Netflix specials, I was just like, oh, my God, this guy is brilliant. And part of that, I think, is he spent 12 years just doing stand up and nothing else. Yeah, he was just in the clubs for 12. And it's like, again, I go back to the 10,000 hours, even though he had that previous to this. I think Mm -hmm. it's a different because he didn't have any other distractions. Before, when he was doing stand-up, he was also trying to do movies and trying to do TV. And he was doing a pilot every year. And all of a sudden, he only did stand-up for 12 years and nothing else. You know? And it shows. I think it shows.
0: I saw him in Montreal during Just for Laughs last year. Mm -hmm. He and uh, John Mayer did a show together. John Mayer opened for him playing music. And then he came out and did. And just absolutely killed. And there is... In the culture that we're in right now and in the moment in culture that we're in right now, it is easy to get canceled. Yeah. And the thing that I kept thinking while watching him, aside from the fact that he's brilliantly funny is for the moment, for right now, for this 20, uh, I guess it was, so a summer and almost two summers ago, I guess it was, I saw him summer of 2018. For the moment that we're in right now, he is fearlessness personified.
2: Well, I think, you know, Mark, I will go back to what I said earlier. I'm going to quote myself.
0: Go quote yourself, Jordan. Let's see (laughs) what you got.
2: And, you know, and I understand, like, I'm not a trans person, so I'm not going to, I'm not going to say, let him do his joke. Because if someone's doing N-word jokes and then somebody else says, well, let him do his jokes. I'm like, hey, you're not black, so you can't, you don't have, you don't get to say. But I'll go back and say, he's so funny. When he does jokes, they're funny. Yeah, So people forgive him. It's like, you know what? I'm, I can't, even trans people are, you know, there are trans people who laugh.
0: Yeah, they're like, look, I get it. I, that's a funny joke.
2: It's funny. And if, but if he were a mediocre comedian, you know, or if this was, or if he was trying to do jokes outside of his wheelhouse to Mm -hmm. to be edgy, yeah, he'd be canceled. But because it's like, you can tell that he's being honest in his presentation. Mm -hmm. Like this is just my thoughts right now, what I'm seeing. And the other thing I think he's really that you really see more so than any comedian I've ever seen is his comfort level on stage at this point where he just can come on stage and do like I just, you know, all this new material and it just be brilliant. Mm -hmm. And I think that comes from doing those 12 years of shows, doing four hours at a time, you know, some nights doing four hours on stage where his comfort level, like we talked about effortless earlier. Mm -hmm. He has that in a way that I don't think he had before. And and he's just so comfortable to walk out on stage and just start talking.
1: Yeah. Yeah. He's rat pack cool.
2: Yeah. Like he just
1: doesn't care, like doesn't care where he is. He doesn't care if it's, Mm -hmm. if it's 10,000 people or 10 people. Yeah. He's going to go out and do the show and be confident in it. There is like a, a, you know, use the word fearless mark. I don't know if I like again, if it's, If it were a white comedian using the N word, I don't think I would say fearless. No, that's that, that, that is a problem, but he also like oddly addresses it, but Mm -hmm. then keeps go. Like he's like, I'm not going to stop. It's not even that he apologizes. He just addresses that this is an issue and I get what Mm -hmm. they're saying. And now I'm going to keep going. That's kind of what he does. And like there's almost like there's a school of. We're all too sensitive, and it's comedy, and we should all just take Mm -hmm. it as comedy. And Adam Carolla is in that school as well. Adam Carolla, though, when he gets on stage, sounds like, uh, like if Fox News became a comedian now, like he's gone too far in one direction where he's crusading, as opposed to like, I'm gonna say my jokes, Mm -hmm. right? And if it's funny, it's gonna be funny. So that that, you know,
2: that I think you like it's what
1: we were saying earlier about. Commentary
2: versus comedy. Like mm-hmm. you're not up here to give us a political speech, unless it's funny. Like it's right. comedy, so you gotta, you're obligated to deliver that before you deliver your rant
3: mm-hmm. about
2: how mad you are about the state of comedy. Like, right. like yeah, like Dave Chappelle is saying, I'm mad about the state of comedy, but he's doing it in a funny way. We're laughing. You mm-hmm. know, you so you can't just go up there and preach, and you can't just be angry.
0: Right. Well, he's, he's all point of view and the best comedians, their point of view is just hilarious. Chappelle has this sort of, uh, timelessness, I think, where he is abs, he is, he is the age he is. Mm -hmm. He is who he is. He has his point of view about the world and he is commenting on a time now that is not past his prime, but you know, past when he was coming up in the game and like, And comedy. So he is, he's, you know, speaking as an elder statesman and sometimes an elder statesman by the standards of 2020 or 2018 or whatever get things wrong, yeah. uh, zeitgeist wise, but it doesn't change the fact that that's still his very funny point of view. Right. God, like I felt guilty laughing at some of the things that I laughed at that he said.
2: I mean, like for me, like, I think he's able to get away with what he's able to get away with because he's able to make it funny and not
0: mean. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
2: I would say personally, if I were a trans person, I would say to him, it's hurtful to me. You're not doing these trans jokes as a trans person doing them. And you're not doing these trans jokes to a trans audience where they, where they feel like we're, we're part as opposed to you're doing these trans jokes in front of non trans people who don't mind laughing at trans people. Cause that's how I feel about if you're doing black jokes, in front of a black audience and they're biting, it means we're all in this. It's not mean spirit. And I don't feel right. if you're white and you don't perform from a white audience and you're saying black women act like this and they're laughing. I'm like, well, I kind of feel uncomfortable. Right. I mean, what you're saying is true, but I feel like right. I'm not yeah. sure if it's cool that they're, that you're telling this joke and they're laughing at it.
0: Yeah. I mean, look, I'm fully aware of the fact that right now I am a straight white dude giving my thoughts on a black guy telling trans jokes.
2: No, but I mean, I think it's legitimate. though. I think it's a legitimate criticism. I'm not Mm -hmm. and I'm not even sure I'm right, you know, because I, like I said, I don't believe in censorship. I think if you're white and you want to do N word jokes, I'm please go do it. But you also have to be willing to suffer the consequences. You can't say. I'm going to do offensive material. And then when people go, I'm offended, go like, what's going on? Yeah. Yeah. How dare you? No, you said you're, you're doing, you know, your stuff is offensive. So you should expect people to get offended and you have to then own it and say, Hey, look, I'm trying something guys, you know, I'm trying to have a bigger message or this is just what I find funny. And if you don't like it, I'm sorry. I don't mind if you say that, you know, but if you just act like, Oh, people are so sensitive. It's like, yeah, of course they are. If I start doing jokes, about your kid who has a limp because they were born with polio, but I think it's funny and the audience is laughing. You might get offended, right? You, know? mm-hmm. like, you got to see if it's if how some people take it personally.
0: Uh, Paul F. said something once that we were. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna brutally paraphrase him and I and I send him my apologies. But he was like, "Yeah, when comedians say like it's like you can't be funny anymore. It's like yeah, yeah, you can." And just and the, the the bad ones can't. Yeah. The but ones that pop out. Yeah, the a, ones that are smart yeah. and thinking about it and are, you know I'll
2: tell you something that I like. It's just like,
0: mindfulness.
2: You know, audiences change over time and things mm-hmm. things that I used to get lasted at, at the groundlings like in a, like in an improv show. The kind of stuff I used to do like in the early two thousands, which was like, you know, I mean like just the worst kind of like this shouldn't be funny, but the audience would love it because it was so dark. I would do the dark. And I can't do that stuff today, period. Mm -hmm. I can't. They they groan. They get scared. They get uncomfortable. And I can't go like, well, this is funny and I'm just going to force you to hear it. I'm like, no, my I'm an entertainer. My job is to entertain. So if they're not biting on it, I need to find another way to reach this audience. I just think that's my, that's my responsibility as a performer is to entertain the audience and not get mad at them because they don't like You know, this rape joke I'm doing because, well, you know, 16 years ago, they loved it.
0: Right. Well, like, I mean, you look at, look at movies, most of the classic movies that you can think of. It ain't mostly the comedies. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. comedy is fleeting. It, like, times change and tastes change. Oh, you can go back and watch some old comedies and go like, yeah, that was okay
2: then. Oh, (laughs) yeah. Any comedy, you go back 20 years later, you go, like I was th- talking about, um, what was that Kevin Klein movie where he's gay, where he's the gay teenager out? Yeah. And then you go, you watch that now, you go, Oh, this is p- very problematic. Sure. Like, mm-hmm. All the stereotypes of what, what oh. shows you're gay.
0: <laughs> Just like, but at the time it wasn't problematic, you know? No. Or Bill and, Bill and Ted dropping F bombs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. At each other every time they would do something that was remotely non-masculine. Yeah, like, exactly. geez, guys, come on. Yeah, and I don't think you can go back in time and say, "Oh, that person is
2: homophobic" or "That person is racist." It's like, no, at that time, that's what people did, and it was allowed, and they and no one was a no one knew that people were offended by it. Yeah. That's, people weren't aware that there were people who were offended by this, right? But when they yeah. came aware of it, they stopped doing it. It's like blackface, and mm. it's heyday. There were no black people going to Broadway shows. Right. So I'm, like, I'm not sure about this, but then when black people got more of a voice, then they were like, "Yeah, it's offensive." Then eventually, it stopped. Yeah. I mean, to yeah. an extent, unless you know, you're one of the many
0: politicians who've gotten in trouble for it. Sure. Exactly. Justin Trudeau. oh man so i came back to work i was in canada i came back to work the day after the election it it had dropped that justin trudeau like had done this blackface thing at a party once and then being a parliamentary system he uh won but not by a big enough margin so he had what uh what split was called a uh minority government and uh i walked into work the next day and uh one of the grips on set was talking about the election he goes yeah Minority government seems like a pretty fitting punishment. <laughs> like, no, that's ridiculous. <laughs> and, uh, we, we, we haven't mentioned, uh, Tig Nataro. I should, we yeah. should give a shout out to Tig Nataro, uh, as well. Talk about using, um, using wow. your life and making pain funny. Like pathos and comedy have been partners since, you know, since comedy was invented and Tig really knows how to do that brilliantly but i feel like
2: favorite way to do comedy is to take pain and
0: yeah
2: that's what we all relate to you know?
0: yeah but i think coming out of the 2000s mm-hmm. dave Chappelle is
2: yeah for sure he's the guy
0: yeah he's the guy
2: i mean he's, he's on his way to being on the mount rushmore of stand-up comedians yeah if the trajectory continues at this rate i mean i don't know
1: how you can deny him the 2000s i love by the way that that our finalists which i'll which i will review now uh yeah that they are all like once we get past Lenny Bruce in the sixties, it is a direct like this is just direct lineage. It yeah. Goes, uh, so we've got Lenny Bruce, then Richard Grandpa, Grandpa, yep, Daddy Murphy, son. Chris Rock, and Dave Chappelle. Those are our five finalists. Okay.
0: That is almost yeah, yeah. That's almost time. a linear, absolutely linear influence. Yeah. You just follow him in like a straight line. Based on that. And based on the influence that each has had on the one or the influence that each has taken from those previous to them, Lenny Bruce aside, again, do we really need to have a long discussion about who it is? I, I know my pick. Of course. Yeah. Same. And your pick, I think. I think we all came into this knowing who we were eventually going to. Our show, we, we, we give the objective, correct answer to subjective questions. Yeah, and that is our hook. This is almost a perfect version of that because it is almost an objective answer. Yeah, should we, uh, we go on three? Yeah. yeah, one, two, three. <laughs>
1: Byron Richard Allen. Pryor. Oh yeah, Richard. P- yeah, <laughs> Byron Allen. People of the world. <laughs>
2: I, I didn't catch what you guys said. <laughs> In all seriousness, Richard, it is Richard Pryor. Yeah. But I was going to say, I think Byron Allen, you know, deserves a mention because you know Byron Allen was who was Eddie Murphy's hero. Really? Yeah, oh. because Byron Allen was 15 years old, a comedian and already on television. So uh-huh. Eddie was 15, a comedian and going, "I want to be like Byron Allen." He said that was his hero growing up. That Byron Allen who he was like, "I want to go to LA just like Byron Allen and get on TV."
0: Wow. He went to New York and got on TV, so Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: One day one day you'll find success Eddie Murphy, but not on our show. It's Richard Pryor.
2: And Byron Allen's story, if you ever get a mm-hmm. chance to listen to his Mark and you should because His career, how his career happened is mind blowing. Like his story is insane,
0: you know, in the best way in all. You're just like, wow, I can't believe that was your life. I I have to give it a listen. Mark Marin gets all kinds of stuff out of people. Yeah. Yeah,
1: Byron Byron Allen became a, he's like a multimillionaire executive. Like,
0: yeah. uh, yeah.
4: He
2: owns all these cable channels and he owns the weather channel.
1: Does he really? He's like the, he's like the Buck Owens of comedy where like Buck Owens, uh, in, Like the 60s, as he started to get money from writing, he would buy Mm -hmm. radio stations and bought a publishing company, like just figured out, like people who have that mind to figure out like, oh, I see how money's being made here. I'm going to do that. I'll
2: Mm -hmm. tell you this real quick. This is what he told Mark was that how he got started was he would call up these local affiliates and say, will you give me an hour between 2 and 3 a.m.? And they would say, yeah. And then he'd go out. And one by one, find advertisers, you know, to go on the the show. He'd make the show for nothing because it's on at 2 a.m. anyway. You know, he did it like from his dining room table. He said he'd be on the phone just calling. And
0: that's what he did. Wow. Respect. Respect that hustle. Isn't that crazy? Well, Hal, bring us home, will you? All right. People of the
1: world, you knew this going in. Mark and I were texting earlier today. And he was like, I think the two finalists, this is what we weren't going by decade, there were names you had suggested as twins. And I was yeah. like, let me guess, Pryor and Carlin, uh-huh. knowing full well that George Carlin was not going to win. <laughs> Richard Pryor, he's the greatest stand-up comedian of all time. He yeah. blended everything that came before him and yeah. he influenced everything that came after him. Yeah. Everything he does, his specials still hold up. They're as much like of their time in the best possible way as they are timeless in the best possible way. Yeah. There will never be anybody like him, but all the other great comedians that we named after him owe him a huge debt and openly admit that as Mm -hmm. great as they all are, none of them would exist without Richard Pryor. He's the greatest comedian of all time. Asked and answered.
0: Yeah. Jordan, thank you for coming on the show. This is an absolute treat. I'm sorry we kept you for so long, but this was a, I knew this was going to be a in-depth discussion. It's where can people find you? What do you want? What do you want folks to know?
2: Oh, they can find me on Twitter and Instagram at fake Jordan Black.
0: (laughs) Perfect. Well, thank you again so much. Who suggested this topic, Hal? This was suggested. You know this old chestnut by –
1: let me find the name. I know. I always ask him who sent the thing. Uh, This (laughs) was suggested uh, on the subreddit by Tuna the Panda. You All right, Tuna the Panda. Thank you, Tuna the Panda
0: yeah thank you for the topic tuna this one is closed but there are many more topics to discuss so please reach out to us on twitter at we got this tweets check out the maximum fun subreddit
1: or email us at we got this podcast at gmail.com or go to our facebook group talk about the stand-ups you love share clips of your favorite bits that's what this is about facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash we got this podcast thank you to producer ken plume researcher kate McManus, graphic designer uri kelman and qa engineer
0: jen alba And thanks, of course, to our musicians, Jonathan Dinerstein and Mike Furman, for our score and theme song, respectively. And thank you to you, the people of the world, our listeners, for giving us a chance to sit down and talk about something that we clearly are not passionate about in any way. (laughs) This is obviously a topic near and dear to our hearts, and we appreciate you uh, giving us a listen and letting us uh, ramble on about our personal influences for this episode. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. For Hal Lublin, I'm Mark Gagliardi. For Mark Gagliardi, I'm Hal Lublin. And don't worry, everybody. We We got got this. this. We
1: got this.
3: MaximumFun.org
1: Comedy and culture.
3: Artist owned. Audience supported.